Hi, everyone. Unfortunately, we must again begin this show with an in memoriam to an artist who has sadly passed away well before their time. Dubu, the artist of solo leveling. Their real name is Jean Sundrak. They passed away on July 23rd from a cerebral hemorrhage from chronic illness. And yeah, they were the illustrator of the Solo Leveling series, an incredibly, incredibly popular series. And yeah, it's such a shame to see such a young artist pass away, and a Melkinger, a beloved artist on a beloved title. In addition to be the author of Solo Leveling, they were the CEO of their own studio, uh, Red Ice, a Korean studio that produced webtoon adaptations of novels like Solo Leveling. And they also illustrated the Space Dandy and Island Giant Insects manga. And it is very just sad to see such, again, an incredibly talented artist pass away. And to just quote the obituary provided by Red Eye Studio, the staff of Soul Leveling and all of us at Red Eye Studio pray for Mr. Zhang, who always had a deep love for his work and the readers. We would like to thank the readers for all the love and support you've shown for Soul Leveling, and we ask that everyone prays for Mr. Zhang to rest in a better place. And I think those are wonderful sentiments. And I think we well concur with those sentiments. We hope that he is at peace now. We send our condolences and regards to his friends, family, and fans. And just want to offer our respects and a moment of silence in honor and memory of his work and life and his passing. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 210. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha. And today we have another stacked news roundup episode. There's a lot of news to catch up on in terms of all sorts of serialization updates, a ton of licensing announcements that we can only really scratch the surface of, and a bunch of other like industry news and anime news. There's a lot to talk about and we're going to do our best to catch up on a very eventful month of July and summer in general. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to see how much we can cover in one episode. So uh, pr- pray for us. <laughs> Speaking of events, I will also just acknowledge and shout out my time at Otakon this year. It was a really nice experience and opportunity. Met and talked with a lot of great people. Got to interview some really cool folks. And yeah, it was a really great experience. And you can look forward to hearing more about it and mine and V-Lord and Sakagi and Jekka's thoughts on it in our Otakon 2022 Roundup podcast that hopefully we will have out in short order. And yes, of course, I was like 
just blown away, stunned silent by the Yuri Yatra license rescue announcement. <laughs> uh, it was stunned silent, I will say that, because th- some people were much more animated, including the one guy who was like yelling through the entire screening of the opening to the point that <laughs> they got noise complaints and Mike was telling me about the next day. Oh, man. Uh, so, you know, but I was very appreciative to literally have had a front row seat for that announcement and to be in the room and to hear that energy and love for the series as it was revealed and announced that it would be returning to home video in the U.S., coming to Blu-ray across four sets next year. And I am just so overjoyed, so excited. It's going to be great opportunity for us to cover the original show episode by episode on Lum Squad Ooh. and just get to talk about both the new show and the old show in tandem. So it'll be just a fantastic time. It's good timing, too, with the manga releases planned to, you know, end in early 2023. We can immediately pick to covering the anime from discotheque releases so that's really cool and i am so overjoyed by that i'm very happy for you and also this means i can finally watch the show eventually um but i think you saw me tweet about this during the weekend but between that and denpa announcing they're bringing over more of adachi's manga it's like they knew the shaggy crew was coming to otakon well, yeah it was a pretty good weekend for shaggy i mean in addition to all that you know they had the kind of entire production team for snafu at the con which included the editor who is like you know the series of shocking titles so they had the original creator and the his editor at there at the event and v lord uh, attended that and shared his thoughts on that in our otakon uh, roundup podcast so yeah i mean it's a it was a pretty good weekend for shoggy fans it's been you know it really put the saturday and saturday not shoggy literally there <laughs> And yeah, you know, these con experiences, doing two back-to-back was the first, but it was a fun time at both. And I think that transitions to something else I just wanted to shout out is that I had a few guest appearances recently, and one was related to my attendance at San Diego Comic-Con and being at the Knights of the Zodiac film panel. I was invited on CosmoCast to discuss my thoughts on the panel, like what they revealed there, what they talked about about our perceptions of like what the film looks like it's going to turn out to be and expectations for it so it was a good discussion i had with the host of cosmic cast as well as we lord and another folk who is also there at the panel and yeah it was a good time talking about it and just our experience being there and hearing the cast and crew talk about their experience working on it and seeing yeah that this thing is really coming together and actually you know even if it won't be the most faithful adaptation to, you know, the letter of the story, it'll be very faithful, it seems, to the spirit, or at least it is trying very hard to get across the heart of Saint Seiya. And so that is very appealing to me. And if nothing else, it looks like it's going to be an amazingly choreographed and directed action movie. So yeah, I'm very excited for that. And if you want to hear more thoughts, definitely check out that Cosmocast guest appearance. Returning to Shaggy titles and Shaggy discussion, the episode of Shadow Night Shaggy was on a few months ago when we recorded this. Uh, we talked about Muruga Takahashi's short story collection, Came the Mirror. And yeah, it was a fun time talking about an eclectic collection of Takahashi short stories over the years. Like over a period of like 15 years are the stories in that collection. So, you know, a lot of eclectic stuff to tear, a lot to talk about in terms of how her style of storytelling and her art evolved 
Dolls. And of course, in that volume contains My Sweet Sunday, the collaboration between her and Mr. Adachi, reflecting on their experiences, you know, growing up as readers of Shonen Sunday and then working on it. So, I mean, to tie back into Adachi, you know, <laughs> technically it was like the first new Adachi thing published in a long, long time is that one shot. But now we got a full-fledged work of his coming up soon, which is exciting. But yeah, no, definitely check that out. It was a great discussion of, yeah, just some great short stories by just the goat herself. And in addition to all that, I was also recently on MHA Pod a few weeks ago to talk about basically the chapter before last, chapter 359. I talked about it with Quinn from Week Among the Week Out. That was her first time coming on MHA Pod. And also we were joined by Marion and James. So it was a great crew of folks. All folks who you've heard on the show before, which funny enough. But yeah, no, it was a really fun conversation on the chapter and uh, always just a good time talking to those great folks so definitely check that out as well too so three recent podcast guest appearances i was on for you to go and seek out Mm -hmm. yeah we'll definitely leave links to all those in the show notes indeed but now I believe that takes care of our house cleaning. We'll get into serialization news and updates, starting off with hiatus updates. We had an interesting comment recently from Ai Yazawa, author of Nana, as she has been, you know, holding an art exhibition uh, for her work this month. And she gave some comments commenting on the status of Nana, saying that, you know, the series is still going to remain on hiatus. She won't be resuming it at this time. But I found this comment interesting because of the wording she used here is that she considers the series to be on hiatus and even though it's not returning at this time it is something that perhaps could be returned to so I am hopeful at the door being left open for the possibility of Nana continuing which I think so many of us fans really are it has of course been Jeez, at least over 15 years at this point since Nana went on hiatus. But anything is possible if you can look at a series like Beat the Vandal Buster, you know, returning after also a long hiatus too. But yeah, it has been nearly 15 years, not over 15 years. But yeah, uh, Nana is not zooming at this time, but it seems that the door is being left open and seems like Ayazawa is still doing more art and more stuff. So that's always very cool to see. Now, in terms of other hiatus realization updates, Welcome to Ballroom is once again, unfortunately, going on a temporary hiatus and also going to be serialized irregularly for the short interim. You know, the author of Welcome to the Ballroom has gone on these hiatuses pretty irregularly and frequently because of their, like, kind of health problems over the years. So it's a shame to see that they're still not in a great place with that. But also, you know, in this specific case, it seems that they are also just busy preparing the manga's, you know, volumes and other related work to the series. So they're over capacity. So it seems that this break is at least more so to kind of lighten their workload. So I think that is at least more hopeful than, you know, the hiatuses they've done before when it was due to more health issues and workflow stuff. So yeah, I mean, again, welcome to the ballroom. Still having, you know, some serialization irregularities but uh wishing you the best for Takeuchi to you know be able to maintain a good balance in their workload and resume the series when they are ready 
And in addition, there are going to be a hiatus for Diamond in the Rough, a two-month break as the author of the series is suffering from the denitis. It will have a resume soon, though. It has a scheduled resume date of September 21st. So this is a more, like, predicted return for the series. But yeah, it's, again, it just goes to show health problems for artists are very frequent. And we're seeing that a lot recently, even with newer creators. And that especially applies to Ruri Dragon's author. Ruri Dragon is a series that just started, but the author Masaoki Shindo, you know, they already took a break between chapters 5 and 6, a one-week break because of health problems. But now it looks like it'll be going on a more permanent hiatus as he is focusing on recovering his health. So that's a real shame for a series that, you know, really gained a lot of traction, hit the ground running in popularity, but now is just going to have to be on hiatus for a little while. With any luck, though, it will still be able to keep that momentum when it returns because it was, you know, it was very well received and hopefully it can be put on a schedule that is, like, easier on Shindo and his health, perhaps more of a bi-weekly serialization in Jump Plus, potentially. It, it could be a good strategy, but regardless, I just hope that Shindo can focus on recovering their all because they're a very talented creator and they have had a work with such great potential so really hope that you know they just take care of themselves and return to the series when they're ready and i think the fans will be there waiting and eager to support it i i was gonna say um when i saw this news i was i was very sad to hear about shindo having to take a break due to health reasons but you know a, a part of me was kind of afraid that like that we we, we were seeing like you know, in real life, kind of what happened to uh, what happened in Bakuman with the famous like hospital bit during that series where it's like, you know, obviously they had to take a break from their series. And then they I think what was it they took a break long enough to where like they just kind of came back just to end. And like, mm-hmm. I was really afraid that like that was going to happen to Ruri Dragon. But it seems like there's enough of a base there even this early on to hopefully keep it up when it comes back. Yeah, especially since Shinjo was already a popular artist before Ruri Dragon started serialization and the Rory Dragon one shot was so well received so there was a lot of anticipation going into the series like right off the start and in terms of the numbers like the view numbers on Jump Plus from what I heard very extraordinary so like it was a really like quite of a run out of the get like it was getting a lot of attention so hopefully like when it returns that'll also be big news that will kind of galvanize a lot of people to kind of resume their support of it resume their Leadership, so like you said i wouldn't be surprised if they maybe just eventually move this to jump plus like I, I could see that happening in the future for sure now to talk about a creator who has been working on making their return since a long hiatus we've talked about it before but yoshiro Dayashi joined twitter in early may and has ever since been teasing updates on his progress on drafts of hunter hunter chapters it was recently confirmed that he has finished drafting chapters 391 to 400, the first, like, next set of 10 chapters that would be published in Jump. He seems to have completely finished chapters 391 and is now working on drafting the next set of 10 chapters after that batch with 401 to 410 that he's sharing updates on on Twitter. So, Tagashi is really working very hard on the series again. 
And, you know, it's something to really appreciate knowing his struggles and his health problems. When his exhibition that is going to come out in Japan was announced uh, in late October, October 28th, when that was announced, he gave his own comments Basically commenting on, you know, fans asking him, like, why he can't just continue the story. And he basically straight out mentions that he has frankly been unable to sit in a chair to draw for two years because of his back and hip problems. Like, he mentions that until two weeks ago before writing this letter to promote the excess submission, he had been unable to wipe his own ass and had to take a shower every time he, you know, took a shit. Essentially, you know, to put it bluntly, that's how this has been translated. Every movement took three to five times longer than a normal person would. Uh, his back, his pain is just insanely intense and insanely. Just, just let this man rest, please. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that he is resuming manga again is like just something out of sheer passion, right? Because obviously. He does not need to continue drawing the series with the success he's had. It's really just out of pure passion. And honestly, with his health problems, like he has every good reason to just retire and focus on his health. Yeah. So as fans, we should just really have so much gratitude uh, and also so much respect for Tagashi for wanting to create art as he pleases, just out of the sheer passion for it, even though he's in so much pain. And I think... As fans, we should support him being able to work in a way that does not pain himself and allows him to do what he wants to do creatively without putting him under more pain and pressure. I would like to share a comment from Maya Ize, who is responding, you know, at her Otakon panel about, like, you know, a fan was talking about, oh, Tagashi, he's procrastinating a lot. And then he was telling that question. He says, oh, it's, you know, how do we get him to, like, you know, continue the story? And she was like, no, I have nothing but respect for Tagashi sensei And I was once told by his editor that Tagashi sensei only picks up his pen when he believes he will be able to draw something that will shock the world. And essentially, what she means by that comment is like, Tagashi only is working on manga and only working on stories when he knows that he can do great work that he can be satisfied with and that the fans can be satisfied with. So the fact that he has decided to resume the series and is making this progress on it is something to, again, be very appreciative of and just be respectful of Tagashi and just be empathetic to the pain he's under and be considerate of the fact that his health and well-being is much more important than your fan's consumption of his art. Uh, Look, I'm at the point now where if Togashi tomorrow on Twitter announced that he decided not to do any more Hunter Hunter, I'd be totally fine with that. I want this dude to be healthy. He's well and in his rights too. Yeah, like he deserves it, especially with everything he went through like on Yu Yu Hakusho alone. Like I... I Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been surprised if he got out of the industry then, but like he decided to keep working and that's really admirable. Also, like... I can't even, like, you know, I think we were kind of getting into this groove where, like, oh, every time Togashi comes back, we're guaranteed at least, like, a volume's worth of material. And I I think that was kind of the pattern we had been seeing for the last few years. And knowing that, like, I can't even believe he's working on the next 10. Like, that's shocking Mm -hmm. to me. Like, he doesn't have to do that. He, I I just wasn't expecting that. Like, I have nothing but sympathy and empathy for Togashi, and I hope he takes care of himself. I really do. 
Absolutely. And again, yeah, as fans care more about his health and well-being over whether or not the series will return. If you really love his work, you should love the author more than his work. Or the author's well-being more than his work. Manga artists should not have to, like, completely burn themselves out just to, like... They shouldn't have to literally kill themselves for your entertainment. No, they really shouldn't. And it, it just makes me sad every time we have to, like, talk about these kinds of stories, honestly. Yeah, especially as we're talking about this, just coming after a slew of updates on authors who have to had to take breaks on their series because of health problems. It's a really big problem in this industry, how it treats artists and burns them out and causes them to go under some severely painful stresses that affects their health in damaging ways, and oftentimes, sadly, as we've reported, mortal ways. So yeah, again... Just be considerate and empathetic and just be respectful of the fact that Higashi's suffering from a lot of pain and he's only making art because he wants to do it. He has no obligation to that and fans have no entitlement to that. Absolutely. To talk now about stuff that is coming to an end, there are two Shaman King spin-off manga that have been running for a while that are coming to an end. The Marcos focus been on Shaman King. Marcos is ended the fifth volume will be coming out mid-August. And the Faust-centered Shaman King spinoff, Faust 8, is also ended with that third and final volume of that series coming out in mid-August. And both of those titles are published by Kadansha USA as they are publishing pretty much everything in the wider Shaman King-verse. And yeah, I mean, these are titles that I've been meaning to get to, especially the Marcos ones, since I think that character is very fascinating and interesting. I'm sure, you know, even as two of these and there are going to be more to take its place as the franchise seems to never be an ever evolving universe for sure. But there are many other series ending as well. Two big series are coming to an end soon. Yeah, I guess I can talk about this next one. So actually, I'm pretty sure at the time of recording this, uh, Chihaya Furu has ended. Yep, it has indeed ended. I have heard and seen people talk about the final chapter and the reactions to it. So yeah. And uh, yeah, that's just it's just really weird to see. Obviously, we knew this was coming for a while, but yeah, I got people very emotional, especially you know, depending on who you ask, your favorite ship made it or it sank, <laughs> and you were upset, and how passionate people have gotten on the end of people being upset <laughs> is a little again ridiculous and disrespectful. Yeah. But, you know, from what I have observed, it seems in terms of narratively, the story came to a very satisfying ending that seemed very appropriate for it. So I'm very glad to see that and I'm very excited to read it when it is uh, officially made available. Mm-hmm. Though that's not necessarily the end of Chihiro content because we are getting a spinoff chapter in Be Love magazine this November that I'm sure will probably fill out the rest of that last volume. So yeah, we still have some more Chihaya Furu manga to look forward to, thankfully. Absolutely. And I'm sure that the series is something that may be returned to from time to time as well. So yeah, it is astonishing to see it end after like a 15-year-ish run, 50 volumes. But, you know, it's insanely impressive and it seemed to have maintained such a strong quality throughout and what is very satisfying conclusion. So very, very happy for it, happy for fans. I'm excited to read it myself when the official localization gets there. 
Mm-hmm. I can't wait to get back to Chihaya Furu eventually, and uh, I hopefully uh, hopefully we can talk about it more on the show eventually. Absolutely, and there's so many other folks that I love to bring on for that conversation as well, and that I've sought out. So absolutely, it's something I want to return to for sure. And yeah, I mean, there's another big series that is coming to an end soon as well, and that is Kaguya-sama. You know, at the pace that it is going, it looks like it will end sometime in October. Mm. Based on what we have been hearing about Kagisagama from people who have been keeping up with it, that seems to make sense for it. And we had known that it was in its final arc since last October. So kind of makes sense that uh, this final arc in all basically is going to last a year. But yeah, Kagisagama, now that it is in the jump app, especially keen to catch up and read it through to the conclusion, which I'm sure at the pace that volumes are being published in English will be in fair short order, but you'll be able to read. So very, very excited for that and look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Kaguya-sama, honestly, like the more I hear Marion and Maxi talk about it, it makes me kind of want to check it out eventually. And I'm sure maybe hopefully we'll do an episode on it. Who knows? That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Now let's talk about some new serializations, continuing on kind of jump-like extended family-related stuff. You know, we've been talking about, uh, we mentioned before that Blood Blade Battlefront would be returning at some point uh, with a third series, third season, and we now have the official start date. You know, speaking of October debuts or October-related events for manga, Blood Blade Battlefront Part 3, Beat Street Beat, uh, as this part is going to be called, is going to begin in October. So, very much excited to see the series continue, and I would just wish Dark Horse would continue publishing it. Please. Or someone. <laughs> Please. Uh, it would be nice to it would be nice to get the manga over here since I don't know if the anime's ever gonna come back. <laughs> I don't know. One day maybe. We'll see. Yeah, either one would be both would be great, but I would settle for either one at this point. Yeah, both would be great, but yes, like you said, I I'll take either one. Continue on the train of sequel spash spin-offs. There's going to be a new Bungo Stray Dog spin-off manga focusing on the past of Dazai and Nakahara. And yeah, it's basically going to be called Daisai Chuya Jukosai. Dai and Chuya at 15. And that's going to come out in Shonen Ace sometime after July by Shiwazu Hoshikawa. So yeah. Curious to learn more about that relationship uh, in their younger days. I mean, if you're going to give Bungo Stray Dogs any kind of spinoff, like a spinoff about these characters in particular makes the most sense to me. Indeed. And again, speaking of spinoffs, Ruby Ice Queendom's anime is currently on air and there is going to be a manga adaptation. It's already started serialization in the Geki Dio since uh, late June. And yeah, we'll see how faithfully it covers the show and perhaps it will get localized at some point. I imagine with how popular Ruby is, it would. Though this is like the first Ruby manga in a while that is not being done uh, in a Shueisha magazine and being as that opportunity allows. Uh, distributed and published by Viz. So I don't know if Wiz would also seek this out because of their partnership with Rooster Teeth or another publisher would license it instead. But we'll see. I would imagine, though, that we probably would get an official localization of this. I'd be shocked if it didn't come out, honestly. Now to talk about actual manga adaptations of other properties, and we have a manga adaptations of a Netflix show, Sex Education, huh. that is coming. It's going to be released on Katakawa's Comic Bridge magazine, and 
And it's already started. And it seems, you know, from Maxie's impressions that I know that they've read it, they thought it was it was okay, it was fine. But it, I just think it's interesting. Like, it's a Netflix show, a live-action Netflix show. You just got a manga adaptation. So Oh, man. That's, that's curious. I would love to see, like, a manga adaptation of something like uh, like Stranger Things or something. I think that would do really well. I feel like that would be like a perfect candidate for a manga adaptation. So I'm surprised that that has not happened. Especially since I wish I could remember what game this was for, but I know there was a game in like the past year that like did like a collaboration with Stranger Things. So like hmm. it was like an anime game. So like all the characters were like anime designed. It was kind of interesting. Like, I don't know. Huh. I, I feel like, I mean, obviously the Duffer Brothers the creators of Stranger Things love anime. So um, it kind of makes sense that I think Stranger Things would fit in like an anime manga style, you know? For sure. Yeah, it seems like a perfect candidate to that. And I mean, we may talk about that later. Oh, there. we sure will. Uh, love of anime. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, speaking of games, though, the very controversial Detroit Become Human game is actually getting its own like manga spinoff uh, called Detroit Become Human Tokyo Stories that is going to come out on Katakawa's global comic label on their comic bridge online uh, manga magazine. And it's being done by Kazami Sabatari as the writer and Motosumida as the artist. And in terms of art, it looks very promising, but based on what how I heard, like Detroit Beacon Union handles teams of basically racism and then like subjugation in its story in the context of allegory with these robot characters and how badly it handled that. I don't know how well this manga is also going to be able to explore the same themes, but it's an interesting thing to know and see happen is just seeing more manga adaptations of other media franchises. So yeah, I thought that was very, very curious. Now to move on to new manga adaptations, we got a new manga from Kira Hiramoto of Mean the Double Blues and Prison School fame, teaming up with Moon A. Yuki Kan A. Shiro, who is best known for Ads to God's Will. And they are launching a new series together called Super Ball Girls in the 21st uh, issue of Big Comic Superior. It'll come out on October 14th. Of course, Hiramoto will be doing the art, and Shiro will be writing the series. It's going to be... An isekai story that will focus on beautiful girls, but also be a mix of genres like sci-fi, rom-coms, uh, horror, and among others. And I'm sure the ball girls part has to play a part in some way. Perhaps knowing how raunchy Hiromoto can get in some of his works, it'll be a balls of a different kind than the ones you play sports with. Or maybe those are one and the same, depending on what you consider a sport. But we will see. We will see. Hiromoto is an interesting creator. I'm not as big into his raunchier stuff, but... You you know, he is a talented artist, and I saw As Sales Will Around a lot, and I hadn't really checked it out, but I am curious what a collaboration between Kanashiro and Hiromoto will turn out to be like. Now, speaking of collaborations, you also got another one between two artists in Takahiro and Keitruo teaming up. They are going to be launching a new work called Gokotsu Kraken, basically 
you know, Gokotsu is a name for demons to torture the dead in hell, so it's a specific type of demon that's also a kraken, I suppose, and the Isekai Battle Fantasy Harem manga, as it's going to be called, or as its uh, moniker seems to be, is that it's going to launch in the September issue of Monthly Big Gangan, which will come out on August 25th. It'll basically be about a female prison in another world where someone has the power to control a kraken. So that seems pretty interesting in terms of a premise of like, yeah, you know, an otherworldly prison where people, at least one of the protagonists control like a big monster. So yeah, I'm curious to see how that is like. And of course, this is coming right after Takahiro uh, has concluded, you know, Kinagakakash. So yeah, they're going right into their project, which is interesting to see. So yeah, I have mixed feelings on Takahiro's works, I suppose, but I'm always going to keep an open mind because I do think they do have some good ideas in there and the premise of this sounds interesting. And of course, they're working with the artist of Comic Kill Zero and their art is very strong too. So yeah, another interesting collab between two talents. Speaking of well-known authors coming back with new works, Inio Asano is launching a new manga after recently concluding Dead of Demons earlier this year. We don't really have any more detail on it other than the new manga is going to debut in Becoming Superior this winter. So yeah, that'll be something to look forward to for sure. And in addition to that, the author of Full-Time Wife Escapist, Tsunami Umino, is launching a new manga that's tentatively being called Kuranema Akloe and Emma, and that's going to come out in the October issue of Kiss this month on, on August 25th. We don't have a ton more details, but the key visual for her last work, Sputnik, you know, is very charming, and I did like what I read of Full-Time Wife Escapist, so I'm definitely keen to check out another work of theirs. And then finally, on the subject of uh, shoujo artists coming up with new work, uh, we got Aruko of My Love Story and My Love Mix-Up fame, who is drawing a new full-color illustrated story manga that is coming out in the September issue of Margaret. It's going to be on the front cover. It seems to be one-shot, but that has not been confirmed. But yeah, I'm of course, a big fan of Aruko's work and their art, so very much looking forward to their one-shot. And hopefully, if it's a long enough one-shot, it'll be bundled with one of their other works or maybe get published on its own. I just love to read it and localize. It's like what older works. But that basically does it for serialization updates, which now moves us to licensing updates. So first off, let's talk about some app updates. Walk Walk has been added to the Jump app, which is cool. Uh, it's nice to see some of Fujisaki's work being added to the vault, though it is strange that Hoshi and Engi, their best known work, has not been added yet. But still, I mean, I'm glad that at least some of it is finally being added. And if Walk Walk can get added, uh, hopefully Hoshinengi won't be far behind either. Yeah, for sure. When I saw this was added to the app, I was just like, huh, that is a very interesting pick. Um, this is definitely a series that, like, I've seen around for so many years and, like, I've never read it. But it's on my list at some point. I mean, in general, I really need to read all this guy's works in general because... Hoshinengi is also a series I've seen for a long time, which has never gotten to. And I I remember thinking, oh, I could just start watching the new anime. And then I watched one episode and then never watched it again. <laughs> God, that was so disappointing. 
Yeah. I mean, 23 volumes in just a two-core show is just not a good mix. That's like a volume per episode, maybe. <laughs> like, that's... I mean, even worse than that, because, like, they especially rushed the early episodes. So you got, like, 1.5 volumes an episode. God. In some of those, so... Well, at least Viz has made Hoshin Engi, like, available to purchase digitally, at least. So you can purchase digital volumes, but... It would also be nice to see it on the actual Shonen Jump app. I'm sure they'll hopefully add it eventually, but it's nice to see any of Fujisaki's works on the app just in general. Like, I still think this is a really interesting choice. Like, I really hope we see more of their backlog titles added to the app eventually. Absolutely. And now let's talk about a less good app. (laughs) Yeah. So Square Enix launched their own official app recently called Manga Up. And there's already been like a lot of commentary on it, but basically it used kind of this freemium and, you know, in-app purchases model in which you kind of have your, you have to like unlock chapters with daily points or coins that you purchase. And the way that they have chapters structured is that they've split them into chunks of 15-ish to 20-ish pages, depending on the length of the chapter. So, you know, a lot of the chapters can be split from anywhere from two parts to five parts, depending on how long it is. And the first chapters of every series is three, but chapters two and beyond, you have to unlock like one at a time. And not just like one at a time per chapter, but like for each part of that chapter. And so that costs like 30 points to unlock like each little part. And you get like 123 points every 12 hours. So depending on the series, you can unlock like one chapter to two chapters every 12 hours and if you want to unlock more than that you will have to either use your experience points which we don't yet know exactly how are generated other than as bonuses from purchasing coins i'm sure it probably also has to do with like app usage you will get more but that really has not been clearly defined but then the coin system you can buy like coins to unlock chapters to they take into effect after you've exhausted your free points and then your experience points. But basically, you can unlock things for 30 points and you have to do it in multiple parts. But essentially, with how much you have to pay for it, it'll basically amount for most series. You're paying like a dollar per chapter. But to rent, the too. problem is it's to rent. Yeah. Yes. Because you only have, once you unlock a chapter, you only have access to it for three days. So if you want to read that chapter again after three days, you'll have to purchase it all over again. That's bullshit. Yeah. So apparently Square, you know, I don't follow their games too closely, but they use this kind of ridiculous microtransaction model in their series, uh, knowing their games as well. And so that's been a point of controversy. And now they kind of bring that philosophy to this Mog app. And it's not a great user-friendly experience. So I don't see any incentive for people to make purchases on this app. But also, I will say that, you know, if you just want to, like, use it to unlock those free chapters, like every 12 hours or whatever, and then just read them and be done with them, that's probably the most utility you'll get out of the app. But don't bother with the whole purchase system because there's really, like, no financial benefit because for the same price that you would pay pretty much to unlock enough chapters to comprise what would be a full volume's worth of a manga you could just purchase that manga on another platform 
digitally or physically for about the same price, but you'd have it permanently. You could read it as much as you want. And you don't have to worry about it expiring. I mean, I mean, with digital books, of course, there's always the danger of it just suddenly the access being taken away from you. But still, like, it isn't like this where it's going to expire on you after such a limited period of time. Another thing that reduces the, like, utility of the app or the enjoyability of it is the fact that there is just some ridiculous censorship on it. Yup. Basically, they seem to have used some sort of algorithmic program to block nudity or, like, erotic content based on, like, the curves of some lines uh, it detects, which leads to ridiculous situations like a knee getting censored because the algorithm <laughs> perhaps thought it was like a butt or something, because I saw an example of one screenshot that someone posted. So stupid. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people have just been posting screenshots of like Dress Up Darling or the early chapters of Soleil in particular, where like they're just these giant black bars that are pasted over characters' breasts that, as everyone has pointed out, it does make them look more erotic than even originally <laughs> intended. It's also worth noting that uh, when you do try to screen cap stuff on the app, it gives you like a warning that, oh, you're not supposed to screen cap, otherwise you'll get like banned or some stupid shit. People have tested like how much they can abuse the screenshotting until they get banned. And so this was going to be a community shout out, but Yazzie tried that like hundreds of times and basically found, oh no, it doesn't actually do anything. It's kind of like an empty bluff. But yeah, it is kind of like a, an annoying little message to get every time you try to take a screenshot when other manga apps have not really reduced that functionality for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we were going to bring it up in our community shout outs later. But yeah, Yazzie on her best girl's basement YouTube, I actually just watched his video over the weekend. I thought it was really informative, especially as someone who um, I was excited when this app was initially announced. I mean, the big excitement for it is that there are some exclusive titles on here that have not yet been made available on other platforms. The main one being Arakawa's new series, Damons, which was recently announced for a print release by Square for next year, as we'll talk about shortly. But yeah, I mean, basically, you can read the first six chapters of Damons on the app. And although the last chapter and half of the fifth chapter are like in the advanced kind of tier of chapter locking where you could only use experience points or coins to unlock those chapters. Presumably at some point those will move to free because on this model, basically after a certain point, these advanced chapters become free. But for some series, especially long series, that's not going to happen for like literal years. Like if you look at Soul Leader Pandora Hearts, like... <laughs> The final chapters of the series don't get, like, unlocked until, like, 2027 or something. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. So you have to wait, like, five years to use, like, free coins to unlock those. And that's it. if it remains on the schedule that they have put down. You could literally just buy these sooner. Like, how does this benefit the user at all? Yeah, it really has no benefit or functionality for most manga fans who can simply access and purchase these on other platforms for an equivalent price, but with the books not being censored and then being able to screenshot without getting an annoying message and also being able to read it in perpetuity so long as the platform exists and it not expiring on you and having to buy it again. So yeah, I mean, the app is just very poorly conceived on a 
business model that I think shows a fundamental misunderstanding of the purchasing habits and wants of manga fans. And really, again, the only beneficial functionality is the access to the titles that are not available elsewhere, like daemons that you can read just with some patience by unlocking chapters every 12 hour period or so and catch up with it in short order. Like I was able to catch up in daemons and like two days with the method because it's a short series right now. So, you know, if you want to make use of the app for that specifically for a series like Damon's or some of the other like newer stuff that is on here like gender release or la 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 and just read those just a little bit at a time I think that is something that you might find interesting and useful but you know don't bother trying to use it to read these longer series or series you can just get off of other platforms you know because you'll have a better reading experience purchasing them there and you don't have to worry about like again making an ephemeral purchase that you'll have to make again if you would ever want to reread the series after three days i do just want to say real quick that um when we get to our next simulpup episodes which should be hopefully next episode we are going to talk about arakawa's new series since you know that was something we mentioned on the show as man and we really hope it gets a simulpup and i'm I'm glad it got one, but man, I didn't want it like this. So we are going to talk about it at least a little bit on our next SoundPub episode. But just know that any discussion we have on Demons of the Shadow Realm on our next episode or any of the manga on Manga Up that we may have in the future is not an endorsement of the app itself. Yeah, especially because regardless of this app platform nonsense, the series itself is very good and entertaining. I've enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it's going to be worth talking about. Um, I can guarantee you that I'm not going to be supporting this app past maybe like the first chapter, honestly, because I, I kind of want this to fail because it's such a stupid, shitty app. Like, I don't know who thought this was a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pay money for it, but I will use it to take advantage of the free coins to unlock chapters every now and again to read something like Damon's. That's fair. I'm just saying me personally. I don't want to give any more support to this app than, than I have to. That's just me personally. It's terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be doomed to fail if it doesn't actually, like, make any real headway in terms of the <laughs> its financial strategy here, so... We'll see what happens to it. Mm, I don't know. I just don't see most people going for it, but uh, maybe I'll be proven wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I don't see. I mean, especially with all the bad publicity and press it has, like, I don't think that it's going to really catch on. So we'll see if, like, they retool and they come up with, like, kind of a better model. Ideally, they could pivot to a subscription model like Jump. You know, I think that would make the most sense. We'll see how they handle feedback and criticism to it, because I certainly don't think that in a long term period, people are going to continue to make purchases after they realize, oh, I can't revisit these purchases after just a couple days. Yeah, seriously. Um... But I guess should we move on to our licensing highlights? Yeah, on the subject of Damon's, you know, I I, I think that kicks us into a great transition into our licensing announcements. Do you want to start off? Yeah, I, I might as well start off with my list because, um, and I, I looked this up while we were recording because uh, I want to get my pronunciation right. Uh, apparently, it is just pronounced Demon because that's always tripped me up. I always thought it was pronounced Damon, but apparently it is. It's another way to spell demon. Apparently, so I just wanted to correct us on that before we move on. Um, but yes, at the top of my list, I am going to mention that yes, Square Enix is going to be releasing Demons of the Shadow Realm, aka Yomino Sugai from Hiromu Arakawa. 
on April 25th, 2023, next year. Uh, the synopsis reads, In a world where certain humans command mighty supernatural duos called demons, follow young Yuru as he unexpectedly is whisked away from his village and becomes aware of his supernatural birthright. Yuru soon unravels a conspiracy tying him and his twin Asa to a prophecy that threatens the world. And, you know, no matter what the synopsis was, like, Hirobu Arakawa is just, is an artist, a comics artist that I'm basically going to read anything from at this point. Like, I legitimately, like, I've loved everything that I've read of hers. I certainly haven't read everything because I haven't read Arsling yet. I really need to get around to that eventually. But, you know, between Full Metal Alchemist and Silver Spoon alone, like, I really love her stuff. Like, we, we love her stuff on this podcast. So there was no way this wasn't going to be at the top of my list. Yeah. And as I mentioned, you know, I've been reading it and it's very, very good. Very entertaining. That's good. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it more and when we talk about it properly next time. But yeah, it has, it starts off like with a pretty shocking note uh, in a mid chapter twist. Mm-hmm. And then it goes from there. And I like what it's doing in terms of how it's setting up its characters and world building and uh, particularly the dynamic of the villain group and how it's positioned against the heroes. So yeah, a lot to discuss next time. But yeah, very excited to read more of it. For sure, for sure. Um, I'm going to try to at least read the first chapter. I'm at least going to try to read as much as I can without paying for Square Enix's really stupid, shitty app. Yeah, like I said, I was able to do it with just free points over two days, so. Okay, I'll try to read as much as I can, but yes, even if I have to use that stupid app, I really want to check out some of this before it comes out, and uh, yeah, I really can't wait to talk about it next time, because I'm, uh, like, I I kind of knew it was probably going to be good, but hearing you say that makes me very excited to check it out next time. Absolutely. Uh, but next up, I want to talk about a title from Starfruit Books. Um, and I'm sure you might have a couple of these titles in your list. I don't know. But mm-hmm. um, Starfruit Books has been really coming, just, just swinging in terms of like, you know, all the horror titles they've been announcing. Which is why they've announced a new imprint dedicated to horror manga. Mm-hmm. With a logo designed by good friend of the show, Darren Vaughart, which is really, really cool. I'm, I'm really glad that he got to contribute in some way to that. He really deserves more work. He's a great artist. No, I mean, I made the comment in, but that the logo is literally drip. It is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, but yes, I do want to highlight at least one horror title coming from Starfruit Books, and that is Wonder House of Horrors by Miyako Kojima, which is basically a horror anthology that is sometimes kooky, sometimes gory, and sometimes positively profound. It is going to be a single volume, 10 chapters, 190 plus pages. It's going to be available both in print and in digital coming uh, later this year, 2022. So, you know, just from the preview images that we got from Starford Books on their Twitter account, um, this this definitely looks really, really neat, really, really cool. Um, I've been kind of coming around to the, the idea of like shoujo horror, and I guess that makes it sound like I wasn't up for the idea already, but I don't know. It's just, just something that I've never really like thought to look into before, but like with these new licenses from Starfruit lately, like I kind of want to get more into that kind of stuff, hopefully soon, actually. The shoujo manga has had a long history of horror manga. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, sadly, you know, they have not just been localized and brought over here in a wider capacity, so it's great to see Starfruit doing really great work to bring these titles over and give them more attention and love and yeah i'm very excited to see and read so many that they i'm sure they're gonna have in store for us oh for sure i really genuinely can't wait to see uh, what starfruit brings out over the next uh while here really look forward to more of their stuff as always
anyways. Um, next up, I want to highlight one title from Denpa, which is a BL title, uh, a part of their BL imprint. One that I thought seemed like pretty cool and kind of fun is A Hero in the Demon's Castle by Inutoki and Shohei, in which a super strong adventurer who's kind but also kind of dumb goes to the Demon Lord's castle to fight him. And I'm pulling this from uh, Deb Aoki's tweet in particular, talking about some of their BL titles. I think at their at their panel in San Diego was that where this panel took place? I forget already. This was announced at their panel at AX. Okay, okay, but yes, looks like it's described as a gag manga slash fantasy title. Uh, it's going to be coming out uh, around February, March, 2023, sometime around in that ballpark. Out of all their BL titles, this one seemed like the most fun to me. I really like the idea of like a BL gag fantasy manga. I feel like that's weirdly kind of right up my alley. So I definitely want to check this out eventually. Indeed. And artistically, it's very interesting. As that is described, it is more inspired by like Western fantasy comics and like indie comics in terms of aesthetic and story. So yeah, it's going to be a very interesting one for sure. Uh, next up, I have a few titles to highlight from Kodansha. I mean, they announced like so much stuff over the past couple months, but out of all those titles, I think I want to highlight at least two of them. Uh, the first one being a title that Maxi has tweeted about before, uh, so I obviously had to put it on my list, with Hella Chill Monsters, or Yasuraka Monsters, from Shuji Takeya. And actually, by the time you're listening to this, it's already available digitally, because it came out on July 19th, but I'm just going to read the synopsis here. Uh, not everyone wishes for a peaceful afterlife, least of all, Bonzo Scalabania, I think I pronounced that right, uh, whose dearest wish is to find a case for a skeleton detective like him to solve. Along with his unreliable assistant, Vampy Vinaigrette, and zombie frenemy slash bounty hunter, Nero Lichman, Bonzo swears to solve the problems of Limbo City, but does it still count if the problems he's solving are ones that he and his friends are making? A wacky, weird, heartwarming tale for the undead in us all. And yeah, like I said, I have seen Maxi tweet about this comic before, and I've always been kind of interested in it. I think Maxi has a few hangups with like the way it's translated, unfortunately. But I mean, other than that, I'm still interested in like checking this out at some point because it, it genuinely like looks really fun. Like it, like the style kind of reminds me of like the same thing that kind of went for in like Panty and Stocking almost. Like it kind of looks similar to something like that to me. Yeah, I just have more of a Western comics or animation aesthetic. Mm -hmm. I can really get into that personally. Um, next up, I want to talk about my tentative name from Takeru Okutsu. Again, that's already debuted by the time you're listening to this that came out digitally on July 26, in which our protagonist awakes in a house he doesn't know. In fact, not only does he not know where he is, he doesn't know who he is. What he does know is that this unfamiliar house is empty, save for the body and head of a decapitated woman, a stranger he thinks. Uh, he's rescued by a woman, Shiho, who calls him Iori, but is that really who he is? And when she helps him hide the body without batting an eye, telling him to trust her, can he? Should he? And so, yeah, I definitely added this because I'm a real sucker for series that, like, start in media res, and especially series where, like, like, you're kind of learning about the situation along with the character. I think that's, like, a really easy hook for me when it comes to storytelling. So, yeah, th th this sounds like the kind of thing I could really, really get into. It sounds really exciting and even mysterious. Uh, next up, I want to highlight a title from Yen Press with Doomsday with My Dog from Yu Ishihara, in which a single teenage girl journeys through the crumbling ruins of civilization, a concrete jungle that has outlived mankind. However, just because she's the last woman on Earth doesn't mean she's alone. 
She's accompanied by her dog Haru, an adorable and quick-witted Shiba Inu who will gladly lend his wisdom to his human companion. With such a pleasant conversation partner to keep the post-apocalyptic doldrums at bay, the end of the world might not seem so bad after all. And yeah, I added this title specifically because, again, I'm really into these, like, serene, kind of, like, relaxing titles that take place in a post-apocalyptic setting. Like, I don't know, there's something about that really, like, kind of appeals to me. And, uh, I don't know, this one just seemed like the cutest out of all the ones I've seen lately. Like, look, if the world ended, I would really hope I could keep my dog Petey around me to have to, you know, pal around with him after the end of the world. That sounds fun, actually. And then the rest of the titles I want to highlight are basically from Seven Seas. Seven Seas, which, by the way, we discussed on our last episode that they have recognized the union, which is really good, uh, which means we feel a little more comfortable talking about their titles. And man, there were a lot of titles that we haven't gotten to talk about on the show because of that, because we've been kind of holding off. But, you know, some of these aren't going to be coming out till next year, so... You know, it, it works out. The first one I wanted to mention was The Invisible Man and His Soon-To-Be Wife from Iwa Tobi Neko. That is going to be coming out next year in February 2023, in which Yako, a gentle human woman who works at a detective agency, and then Tonome, a smart and gentle invisible man. Uh, the Invisible Man's ability is perfect for detective work. However, the blind Yako can still figure out where Tonome is, even if he disappears. Before they know it, the two become attracted to each other. Ooh. I just thought this sounded like a really nice, cute, probably romance title. Like the cover for this one really like kind of caught my eye in particular. And yeah, it sounds cute and I can't wait to read it eventually. Next up, we have I'm Kind of Chubby and I'm Your Hero from Nore. Uh, this will be coming out on January 2023, in which we have Honjiro, who is a rookie actor trying his best to land a breakout role, but he fears that his weight stands in the way of his dreams. One day, he's surprised by fan mail full of sweets. The package comes from Konosuke, a local pastry chef, Honjiro's first major fan. As Konosuke supports Honjiro's work and gives him new confidence to face the stage, will their relationship grow beyond just aspiring star and fanboy? So yeah, I think this sounds like a really cute concept for like a BL title. The dynamic between these two characters sounds slightly similar to um, to Manly Appetites. Yeah, that was my first thought as well. Um, but yeah, I just thought this sounded cute. I would definitely check this out. This one's probably the fun. <laughs> this one's probably the funniest license, which is why I wanted this in my list. With no longer human in another world, uh, from Hiroshi Noda and Takahiro Wakamatsu. Uh, this will be coming out in October. In which an adventure in another world with cute girls by your side and video game like powers sounds like an anime fan's dream, right? Not so for melancholic author Osamu Dazai, uh, who would quite literally prefer to drop dead. Video games haven't even been invented yet when he gets yanked into another world in 1948. Really, all the fantastical adventure he keeps running into is just getting in the way of his poetic dreams of finding the perfect place to die. But no matter how much he risks his hide, everything seems to keep turning out okay. Follow a miserable hero like no other in this cheerfully bleak isekai comedy. Um, so I just really like the idea. I mean, again, I'm the kind of guy who is only familiar with Osamu Dazai because I've watched Pungo Stray Dogs, but I know enough about No Longer Human and Dazai to know that, like, his work seems utterly depressing. I don't know. I, I just really like the idea in general of, like, getting isekai'd and just, like, totally not being into it whatsoever and just no-selling literally everything about it. It just sounds really fun to me. Yeah, I know there was some controversy about this one just because, you know, Osama Dazai was someone who struggled with alcoholism and depression uh, abuses and also committed suicide. So whether or not this is like kind of tasteful uh, was a concern that I'd heard. 
But if this is like a, you know, if we imagine it's kind of like a fictionalized version that is like kind of a parody of the, of the idea of Osamu Dazai and like the idea, just the sheer idea of him being like someone who was very cynical and being put in this situation where he's, you know, in this fantasy world that he just could not give any care into relating to, uh, then I think there is potential there for humor. But I also, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's a complicated thing considering the circumstances of him as a person and the fact that he you know kind of very tragic debt because of his depression we really don't know the exact reasons why he uh committed suicide or the circumstances of it but it's been a, a often subject of speculation but yeah it's it's just a complicated issue when you're you dealing with a real life person like that mm, okay that's interesting i didn't have that context obviously when i put this in my list um that sounds very similar to me in terms of um because I, I think I, I had seen talk about a similar thing happening with um, that Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie where, like, Peter Pan is, like, the villain in that movie. But there was a lot of talk about how that might be kind of tasteless. Yeah, Bobby Driscoll, the real-life actor Peter Pan, had kind of, like, a similar career trajectory of, like, he was, you know, kind of cast aside when he grew up and couldn't really play young child voices. And then he also had substance. Well, the thing that the Chip and Dale movie didn't go into is, like, the substance abuse problems he had and other aspects of exploitation. Uh, and I kind of got the sense in that movie that, like, they are just not 100% aware of, like, the real circumstances of Bobby Driscoll. But it was also another complicated thing. It's, like, the parallels between this are, like, too similar to the fact that it seems like it is in really poor taste. And uh, I think that is definitely, yeah, an uncomfortable thing there. And this is another, like, uncomfortable thing that, well, this is a a guy who is this the most respectful thing to play off this guy's like general depressed worldview that kind of led him to a self-destructive cycle and his debt uh, in the form of parody in this way uh can it be done well in a way that is respectful to the person it's a complicated thing to navigate so i'm curious like just how the series execute that mm. Okay, that is really unfortunate context that I did not have when I put this in my list. So I apologize for that. Um, still, I want to hope that this series will be handled tastefully and it won't disrespect the actual person too much. But like I said, in general, I just really like the idea of someone being isekai and is totally not into it. So I, I can at least get behind that idea for a series at least. But yeah, I'll just kind of have to keep an eye out and hopefully the series at least treats the real Dazai with like at least a little respect. Doesn't make light of his circumstances too much. That would be nice. Um, but the last title on my list, also from Seven Seas, that I want to mention is Night of the Living Cat from Hawkman and Mecha Roots. This will be coming out this September. In the near future, a unique disease has swept across the planet, a virus that transforms humans into cats. And the horde is expanding, since if these adorable kitties snuggle with a human, the human is transformed into yet another cat. A small group of cat-loving survivors is trying to escape the madness but how can you defend yourself against a threat you just want to cuddle and pet? The wild new take on a post-apocalyptic survival tale will make you roll over and purr with delight. Now, this is also another series I'm pretty sure I've seen people talk about on Twitter and post before it got picked up. So yeah, this was just another series that, again, I thought sounded like a very cute, adorable spin on, on a premise we're pretty familiar with. And I mean, hey, look, um, I'm just going to reveal something about myself. I'm not a cat person. I'm not saying I hate cats, but I'm definitely more of a dog person. So <laughs> look, if I were on the other side of this and I had to deal with dogs, like, like, I get it. I'd probably be one of the first to take it out. So like, I get it. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, again, another really cute series that I definitely would really like to check out at some point. But that's about it for my list. And now I guess, Lum, we can move on to your list. Yeah, I think those were some really great selections. And actually to continue on the horror manga train and turn us back to Starfruit Books' Blood Orange imprint, you know, they did great work releasing Town of Pigs by horror author extraordinaire Hino Hideshi. And they are continuing that great work by republishing Panorama of Hell from the artist, which is about an artist who describes his work, which are like hellish views he paints with his own blood he kind of talks about his abusive family life his experiences in Victoria after world war ii his just terrible childhood uh, and then he's planned to like paint a final masterpiece a hell on earth so yeah this was published by blast books back in the day but now starfruit is going to be republishing it and that's going to be very exciting and they're publishing another new work from hino hideshi never before published in english and that is called Occult Detective Club Doll Cemetery. And that's basically about like two kids who like join their school's occult detective club, which, you know, is examining a curse that has to do with like, you know, a student who killed herself the previous year. And they find an old doll that seems to be the cause and reason for their suicide. And so they try to get it to a cemetery, but then the doll apparently, you know, turns alive and detects the choosers and it like starts coming after them. So yeah, it's another like very creepy horror story about creepy dolls and apparently this book will also come with a free 4x4 postcard if you buy it directly from Starfruit store so that is very cool to have quote a classic of Hino Edeshi's uh, returning to print and a new title of theirs never before released coming out in print and yeah Starfruit is doing great works uh, publishing the work of Hino Edeshi and great classic horror manga in general so very very excited for both of these titles now, to talk about other licensed rescue stuff, I mentioned it off the top of the show, but indeed, Denpa announced uh, at their Otakon panel that they have indeed licensed Mitsurodachi's short game anthology, which was previously published by Viz back in 2000, but now it's getting a nice re-release, uh, based probably based on the more updated version that has been re-released in recent years, and yeah, it's very exciting to see Adachi get republished in English again. It's been a long time, again, since Cross game so this is very very great to see and I, you know, it was great for Ed to be able to do this. He'd been working with Shigakakan for a while, trying to earn their trust, in his own words, playing 12D test with them in order to get to the point where he could be trusted with and licensed with Adachis. And, you know, he's been a fan of Adachi since, like, in his own words, since he was little, since, like, Stree, he was saying. So wow. it's, like, you know, very, very honored to be able to publish a work by a manga legend, like, especially a baseball manga, since he's such a huge fan of baseball, too. And and yeah, I mean, the response in the room at the Otakon panel for this, uh, when this was revealed, was just so enthusiastic, uh, just so much applause and excitement to see an Adachi work be published again, that Ed was like, hey, I'm glad <laughs> that this is over overseas, so please support this work, because Adachi's manga, sadly, have not been successful before here in the US, and we want to be able to continue publishing more stuff. And, you know, from his perspective as a publisher, he's like, you know, if I could publish this one book, I'll be satisfied. But if you guys want more, you know, definitely support this uh, so that there, you show that there will be uh, an audience for more. 
you know, so definitely the ball is in our court as fans and readers to really support this release, buy the book, and prove the market for it. I don't know if we'll be able to sell, <laughs> have short game, outsell Deck Note, <laughs> like Ed dared us uh, to try and do if we ever want him to try and pursue licensing or as any. But, you know, I think that all of us who are Adachi fans uh, will do our best to show this the love that it deserves and show that, yeah, we really want more Adachi manga in English. So this is a great opportunity and very, very thankful for Ed for being able to make the effort to get this license. I'm so excited to read this release when it is published. I will say, um, I myself, I wouldn't call myself an Adachi fan. I've never read any of his manga, but I've always wanted to. I really hope that when this comes out, that like we can support it as best we can and maybe try to talk about it on the show. Because I, I think this is the kind of thing that really needs all the support it can get, quite honestly. Absolutely. Would love to talk Adachi on the show and give this spotlight mm-hmm. so more people can be made aware of it to kind of continue on the dump a train now talking about the kuma pub a bl imprint i was really interested in a home far away by teki yatsuda who is also the author of the yakuza's bias which was recently licensed by yen but this is a tile that's you know set in the u.s in the 1990s about a young man who's like raised in a strict religious family he meets a man who's like free spirit traveler who invites him on a road trip to mexico and basically as ed described it it's telling louise but gayer and you know what <laughs> that description alone had me sold but it just seems like a really cool road trip adventure by a person who came from a very confined stifling background who's able now to meet someone who can allow them to let loose and really embrace and soak in the world as they kind of grow on you know this this cross-country travel so that sounds very interesting very appealing to me so i'm looking forward to that and this is going to come out in late november to early december 2022 to also mention paranormal and hell cult detective are currently slated for sometime 2023 early 2023 and uh, we don't quite know when Short Game is coming, but sometime in 2023 as well. Now we're moving on to, you know, on the subject of queer manga, we're going to go moving on to some Yuri stuff. And actually, we're going to talk about a light novel because I was really interested in this J-Novel Club license. Yuri Tama from Third Wheel to Trifecta by Toshizo and illustrator Kuroshina. It's basically about a Yuri love triangle. You know, there are these two popular girls in the setting of the series at the school, Yuna and Rinka, and they seem like they're made for each other from the perceptions of everyone in their class because Yuna is very princess-like, Rina is very prince-like, so older classmates seem them like yeah, as ideal couple and the main character Yotsuba is no exception to that but you know she's exceptional in the fact that she's actually friends with both of them. And she's kind of considered by everyone in the school and her class as like kind of a third wheel. And she kind of feels like one. She feels like kind of out of place. But like one day, like Yuna asks her out. And then the next day, like Rika asks her out. So now she's kind of caught in this love triangle between them. Because she's also, she said yes to both of them. She kind of has to two time them for a little bit in the same way. But yeah, so what will she do? Will she be able to keep her two-time man wraps and make both of her girlfriends happy as long as she possibly can? That's something we'll have to see and read about. But based on the title, From Third Duel to Trifecta, I'm kind of hoping for that poly ending in this series. And it definitely seems like it could go in that direction. So this one from the description really caught my eye and interest. Uh, it's just like kind of fun Yuri rom-com love triangle thing that could turn poly. So definitely keen to check in on this one. 
Now, Kodansha USA also licensed a few, like, queer manga that really caught my eye. The first being She, Her Camera, and Her Seasons by Tsukiko. This will be a digital title releasing on August 16th. Basically about a girl who, you know, spent her high school career sticking to the straight and narrow, but caught the attention of, like, a short-haired stained office girl named Yuki in her class who kind of bucks the trend, and uh, she can't stop seeking her out and realizes her feelings are, like, more than just friendship. But Yugi only decides for a childhood friend, and he only seems to have feelings for Akari. So this is another love triangle mess that's going to get even messier as the protagonist Akari is trying to navigate between what she wants and what's expected of her socially and academically. So yeah, this is, again, another kind of intriguing queer love triangle kind of story. In many ways, kind of like Blue Flag. So yeah, it definitely caught my eye and has my interest. As does another title, Kodansha is going to be publishing in print next year, Spring 2023. I cross-dressed for the IRL meetup, and I didn't like kind of pronounce these, but in the title is also under I, or next to I, the male gender symbol, and then next to IRL, the female gender symbols. Because basically the premise of the series is the protagonist, Kokoa, you know, she has three best friends from the online game she plays, and she's going to meet them at Desert Cafe for the first time. But it turns out, you know, the problem is she's actually a man, or assigned male birth at least, and they've been lying to them. So it seems like it's going to be like a tense manga about online life, but then it becomes a lighthearted comedy about friendship, gender, and then forgiving yourself and others. So it sounds like it'll explore like kind of gender identity expression in a really interesting way, and then online friendships in a really compelling way. And that definitely has me keenly interested, and it seems like it'll be very, very charming. Now, continuing on the Yuri train, Uridori Sakura announced two new licenses recently that definitely had me interested. One is My Crush is My Roommate by Hajima. And this is about two girls who've been childhood friends. And one day, one of the girls invites them to share a room. And the main character, Hana, is like basically living with her crush. But it turns out that her crush, Kanata, her friend, you know, she realized she likes spending time with Hana a bit too much too. And doesn't really know what to do with her feelings. So they're both like carrying feelings for each other. Not really sure how to kind of express it to each other. So a bit of awkwardness there. And it sounds very, very cute. And then we got a new title from Pikachu, who did Our Teachers Always Dating. And that has me excited since I love that series. And this is called Romance for Teachers, so another romance between teachers from them. And this is basically about a school nurse who's in love with the PE teacher at the school. And, you know, that's frustrating because there are two other teachers at the school who are also lovey-dovey all the time. But, you know, one occasion, the PE teacher comes to the school infirmary to consult about this relationship their fellow teachers have. And could a relationship blossom between them from there? That's something I'm interested in seeing. Especially, you know, I like Pikachu's work on our teachers of dating. And, hey, another, like, adult year Ron's manga is something I'm always a fan of. And, yeah, these titles will be releasing pretty soon here. My Crush is My Roommate is coming out in August and Romance for My Teachers is uh, coming out in English in September. Now, Seven Seas, you know, we, again, as you mentioned, we are kind of behind on them and they had so many license announcements over the past couple of months that uh, I really only stuck to one, though. I will mention briefly that they also announced, in addition to these new license announcements, they have a Girls Love and Boys Love imprint now, rather labels. They just, like, are labeling now what are their Yuri and BL works. So I know that some people are, like, kind of dissatisfied that they didn't come up with a proper imprint and are just using labels. But, you know, it is what it is. And I know that from booksellers and librarian standpoint, it makes it easier for them to categorize. So I think it has its benefits in that way. 
However, the title that I'm spotlighting for them is not a queer work, but it's actually a work that has been long anticipated from an author who, you know, we've long wanted to see another works of theirs in English again, and that is Do Not Say Mystery by Yurumi Tamura. Seven Seasons licenses for release starting next February, 2023, in like a, you know, two-in-one omnibus form. And yeah, you know, this is basically about a mystery-solving college student who... You know, at the beginning of the series, you know, he's brought in for questioning the murder of a classmate, and then it goes from there, and it's both, like, a mystery series, but also kind of a psychological slice of life kind of series, and it's very interesting and compelling from everything I've heard of it, and of course, you meet Tamara, author of Basara, an author whose subsequent works I've been wanting to read for a long, long time. We didn't get Seven Seeds, but we are getting Do Not Say Mystery, probably... Thanks, in no small part, to the fact that the series really blow up in sales, as reported on earlier this year, being one of the top 10 highest selling manga for the first half of this year on the Oricon chart, which is probably large part and thanks to the success of the live action adaptation that came out at the start of the year. But yeah, I'm regardless of like the circumstances that led to this, I'm just so glad to see another work of Tamura's license. I'm very, very excited to read this series. Another long-anticipated and overdue license announcement that was made by Yen Press was Shy by Miki Mikumi. This is another manga that takes a look at a world where, like, there are superheroes all over the world. And specifically in the premise of this series, like, Earth was on the brink of, like, its next world war when people around the world, you know, started getting superpowers and they came forth and ended the conflict and ushered a new era of relative peace. And in Japan, their hero is a timid young girl known as Shy, and she has a lot of anxieties, worries about like, you know, her own shortcomings, but at the end of the day, ultimately, it's going to be able to show the world that uh, she still has a heart of a hero, and she will still has what it takes to be a hero, and represent that for her country, her society. So, I've just heard so many great things about Shy over the years, a lot of people really, really love the series, so there's never been a, that I've been really wanting to read for a while, so I'm very glad that it's now officially licensed and it's going to be available uh, next year. So, very very exciting. And I mean, in addition to this of course, uh, Yen also made some other really big announcements uh, notably Oshinoko, which we've talked about on the show before as it's available now in Manga Plus, but good to see that it's getting a print release uh, from Yen with kind of a redone vocalization as well. So, very very exciting. Now, uh, Square Enix book I want to spotlight is My Clueless for Friends. You know, speaking of shy characters, uh, this title is going to come out on March 7, 2023. It's done by Taku Kawamura. And yeah, it's basically about kind of a, you know, lonely, gloomy fifth grade girl who's like bullied and teased a lot until a new kid, Takata, comes on the scene and he's clueless, but he's well-meaning. And he has the ability, you know, to kind of get her out of her shell, the protagonist girl who is kind of nicknamed Groom Reaper because of her gloomy outlook, it seems. And so these elementary schoolers, so, you know, they just experience all the fun of a childhood summer together from, you know, just everyday activities and you do with your friends. Like going to the pool or picking stuff or watching fireworks. And yeah, it's just a nice, charming story about like their unusual friendship. Now, this is a title that's also on Manga Up a few chapters of. I haven't checked it out yet, but yeah, again, by the description of it, premise of it, it sounds like a charming little sci-fi series about someone reaching out to an introverted person and being able to kind of be a friend for her that she needs, you know, so that has a really great potential to really be such a such a heartwarming little read. And I'm yeah, very much looking forward to it. And then my final license I want to talk about it comes from Udon and Manga Splaining. This is their collaboration, Welcome to Giga Town. 
And it's going to be a manga that is by Fumio Kono, who was the author of In This Corner of the World, which, you know, I really loved. So I'm very excited for this, uh, just by the author alone. But the premise itself is so interesting because it's basically a one volume collection of four panel comic strips that feature like the animal characters from this mid 12th century Japanese Patriot Scroll called the Choju Jinbutsu Giga that are used to explain Mampu or like the visual iconography of manga. And so the Giga and Gigaton is actually in reference to the scroll that, you know, Giga and Choju Jinbutsu Giga. And uh, Giga also is a pun because, you know, Giga it also means caricature or comic drawing. And then like there's also an additional like subtext to that because the Ka Kanji is the same Ga that means picture as in manga. So there's a lot of nuance to the title here. But yeah, I mean, the, you know, Choju Jinbutsu Giga is, you know, the visual iconography that it describes is cited as like one of the roots of manga's iconography. So yeah, it seems like using these animals to kind of draw out situations that are used to explain these like visual shorthands, these mampu, that exp- all that, these common like symbols that we have just come to identify readily as things that express certain actions, emotions and more. Like I, that sounds really, really intriguing to me. And like a great look and reflection on, hey, like what are the visual elements of manga, the least visual shorthands that we just kind of come to accept in comics? Let's really break them out and explore them. So I'm very, very excited for this project and very much looking forward to reading it when it comes out next year. And Manga's Plane is doing really great work publishing this and Okinawa by Suzumihiga. So very much looking forward to their future projects that I know they have a lot that they've been working on uh, behind the scenes. So very much looking forward to their next projects from here as well. And in addition to Udon stuff, I just wanted to give a few updates on things that they've been working on. The Rosa Receives episodes uh, manga release has been delayed to next year. In addition, at the San Diego Comic-Con Udon panel, I asked about the status of Sugar Sugar Rune, and Eric said that obviously with the pandemic, the project was kind of put on pause. It was difficult to communicate with, you know, the team back in Japan, but, you know, in terms of localization, lettering, translation is all done. Still some editing things that need to be done, still some communications that need to be done back with uh, Japan and renewing the contract since it's been so long since the license was first announced. But the project is still coming along and uh, the interiors of the book apparently look beautiful and he's like, to sh- Eric and Sang to share it with uh, readers and yeah I mean I think that we can expect that the book is still progress and still happening and hopefully we might see it uh, next year so that was very reassuring to hear I just wanted to give that a mention but yeah so that will do it for licensing updates and now I think we will head into some stray pieces of news and actually speaking of licensing this was a fun little anecdote that was told during Dark Horse's AX panel but basically it was mentioned you know that they actually have let like a few license slips slipped over the years most notably Attack on Titan and Rosa Resize so these stories that were told by Michael Gumbo Senior Director of License Publications are actually are kind of reasonable why these license slips end up happening that in retrospect are like embarrassing but actually you know it makes sense for the time because with Attack on Titan they were offered it when it only had a few chapters out so no one was sure yet if it would be a hit right 
right? So that makes sense. And also as like Michael kind of went further into at the manga webtoons anime panel at San Diego Comic-Con, you know, they weren't the first person that were offered Attack on Titan and the other people who were offered Attack on Titan also passed in it. So they weren't alone in that. So it's just like one of those things that, you know, obviously in retrospect, you know, oh, this is a big hit. But at the time, like this is taking a chance at a new thing that no one really knew about. So yeah, that makes sense. And with Rose for a size, it's just worth mentioning that like Dark Horse's manga team is really like just a few people. It really is just like Michael and Carl Gustav Horn. So they were kind of swamped with work at the time. They were offered Rosa Rosai by Shueisha. And, you know, he just lost and let it go. And, you know, it's it's a funny anecdote he tells about Carl when he was told <laughs> that they let the license loose. He was like, well, we could have had that. Or he was acting. He mentioned during that panel at SDCC that that was the only time that he's ever seen Carl Gustav Hormat <laughs> was when he was told that they <laughs> let the opportunity to publish Rose Resize Spy. So that was a funny little anecdote there. But, you know, it, it seems pretty reasonable. I just thought these stories were very interesting to think about, oh, what could have been with, you know, Dark Horse potentially having been able to publish these works. But also to kind of show that, you know, when it comes to manga publishing and licensing, it's a lot of work behind the scenes and there's also a lot of stuff we're not privy to in terms of like when deals are made and offered and also just the circumstances that allow these deals to be made because obviously these licenses are set both to due to the fact that it was offered like too early to really have a sense of how well a title like Attack on Titan do or it was at like too busy a time for a very small team to be able to like seriously consider consider and then take on a new commitment and form worlds for a size. So I just thought those were very interesting stories that were worth talking about. I, I just want to say really quickly, because I remember when that came out online, I think I saw that Deb was the one who tweeted that out in particular. Um, I remember seeing a lot of people like dunk on them on Twitter about Rosa for size in particular. And like, I understand like why that probably sounds like a terrible mistake and all that. But also like, I, I have to imagine that like, even if Rosa for size were picked up by Dark Horse, like, you know, when Way back in the day, I can't imagine it wouldn't it wouldn't have like done that well for them. Like, however well it's doing now, it probably would do even less back then, I feel like, but that's just me. I don't know. I, I just I saw a lot of people dunking them on Twitter about it, and I, I don't know. I feel like I was one of the only people who just kind of thought like I don't I don't know if it really deserves this much like vitriol for some people, but that's just me. Yeah, I think a lot of people were just not aware of the full context of what was said by Michael in the panel that like gave reasonable explanation of like why this was let go. But it seems like, you know, if they had the time to like focus on the offer, they would have gone for it because Carl, at least if like that had been passed on his desk, he would be like, oh, my God, we got to pursue this. So that's an interesting thing for sure. Now, to speak about other con news, there was a lot of, you know, great awards being given out to folks working in the manga space. Namely, let's start off with the Eisners. Uh, Moto Hagio was inducted finally into the Eisner Hall of Fame. And, you know, Gary Grott, like, read a statement from Hagio, who remarked about, like, she thought about how, you know, Asana just could inspire, like, so many, and now that inspiration is being passed on from generation to generation. And, yeah, I mean, she had a very humble, like, kind of acceptance about that. And now, yeah, it was, took three tries, but turn time was the charm for her to be inducted into the Eisner Hall of Fame alongside other manga luminaries like Tezuka, Koike, Goseki Kojima, Otomo, and, of course, Sakashi. So, yeah, very, very well deserved. And, yeah, great company to be in. 
Another Eisner win to talk about is that Junji Ito has again won the Eisner for Best International Material Asia, and that is for Love Sickness, Jujutsu Story Collection. His book last year also won the Eisner that year, so I know a lot of people are kind of like a little disappointed, like, you know, is this award just going to become the Junji Ito Award because that's all the Eisner voters care about? I mean, regardless, the book is of good quality, of course, and Junji Ito is the master of the scrap, but yeah, that might be a concern that oh, this could just become like the Jinjito, like default award if like the readership does not like really seriously explore or consider the other titles also nominated in the category. It's very similar to when like the Academy Awards come up every year and Disney's on the ballot for like best animated feature and Disney wins because it's what most of the voters who don't generally watch animated films now. Yeah, basically. So hopefully that doesn't continue to be the case with Ito's wins in this category. Once again, the book is well-deserving of the win. It's a great book, but the fact that he's won, you know, yet again in a row is uh, maybe perhaps a concern. But also worth acknowledging is that I Exner, whose panel I got managed to catch at a San Diego Comic, it was really fascinating about like looking at how sound iconography was explored and depicted in early manga and comics internationally. Uh, and that was just fascinating to see that history and and maybe very keen to check out his book, Comics and the Origins of Manga, a Revisionist History, which won the award at the Eisner's for Best Academic Scarly Work. So well-deserved win there, and yeah, definitely definitely keen to read more of his scarly work on manga, because he's doing some really, really interesting stuff looking at the history of comics development uh, in its iconography visually, and international influences of comics on each other, too. So really, really interesting stuff there. In terms of other rewards also given out at San Diego Comic-Con, they also have their Inkpot Awards to give out to luminaries in comics and animation. And they awarded Inkpot Awards this year to Hidetaka Tenjin, who is illustrator for the Macross franchise, as well as many other great franchises specializing in mechanical designs. And yeah, he was at, you know, San Diego Comic-Con to help promote his like Art of Macross book that he has been releasing through Udon. And yeah, he got the impact. So that was a very well-deserved And I was actually in the room for this uh, in her panel when Shane and Garrity won the impact for her very story comics career, which is very well-deserved with just her long history in comics on Skin Horse and Arbonic. And so, yeah, very, very happy to see that and to be there in the room when she got the reward. So that was super cool as longtime fan of her work. Now we'll be transitioning from awards news to some movie and anime news. And there's a lot to talk about because there's a lot of upcoming North American theatrical releases of anime movies. We're going to be getting Goodbye Dawn Gleese in September from G-Kids, which is pretty cool. As we are also getting The House Lost on the Cape from Eleven Arts. So September is going to be a really big month for you know anime movie releases with two big ones and House Lost in the Cape is coming out on September 7th and Goodbye Don Luis will be out on September 16th for the wide release and there will be fan preview screenings on the 14th and 15th so very excited to see both of those as I am excited to revisit this next film 
A silent voice uh, returning to theaters for its fifth anniversary on October 12th. And yeah, that's going to be very excited. Eleven Arts back-to-back uh, consecutive film releases there with House Lost in September and Silent Voice in October. And both of these film releases are being released uh, under their partnership with Anime Expo as part of like their AX Movie Nights program or Cinema Nights program. So very, very interesting there. Also, we're noting to be expected in the fall is One Piece Film Red. We don't quite have the date for that, but since the film is debuting pretty soon here in August, we can probably expect it in October, November, considering the turnaround time for One Piece Stampede was also in North America in August after coming out of Japan in... No, or in North America in October after coming out in Japan in August. And it was a similar case with the last MHA film, too, where it came out in August in Japan and America in October. So, yeah, we can expect to enjoy that pretty soon here, too. But that's not the only Toei animation uh, property that's getting a theatrical film to enjoy that's coming out soon. Yeah, uh, we got uh, just a bit more info on the upcoming Slam Dunk anime film. First off, that is going to be coming out in Japan on December 3rd, so we got a date for that there. And uh, it seems like the film is going to be entitled The First Slam Dunk, uh, which is really interesting. And we also got a teaser, a small little teaser for the film that shows off just a little bit of the animation. And it looks like it's going to be a combination sort of 2D, 3D CG film, kind of like with Superhero. And so I, th- I feel like there's a lot we can gleam from this little bit of information i mean first off the first slam dunk i don't know if that means like if they're gonna like maybe adapt slam dunk starting from the beginning or if maybe like i I don't know it's hard to tell because like if you look at the teaser you can see sakuragi with this like a haircut that he gets like closer to the end of the series so like i guess it's kind of up in the air like if this one's gonna cover like the manga specifically or if this maybe maybe this will be like its own thing like we don't really know that for sure yet but there's a lot of assumptions we can make um but i mean in general um I don't know, when I first saw the teaser, admittedly, I was a little disappointed that it was going to be in 3D because I was kind of looking forward to the possibility of a fully 2D slam dunk, but I guess, obviously, animating something like slam dunk in 3D, I think, is a lot easier. Plus, you know, it looks very similar to how they're handling Dragon Ball Super Superhero, and from what I hear, um, that movie looks really, really good, and, I mean, can't wait to see that. Also, Um, So if it's anything like that movie, I'm willing to keep an open mind and check out this movie and take it for what it is. So I don't know. I'm still really excited for this movie. And I'm really, 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 really hoping this gets a North American release because I would love to see this in a theater. Oh, same here. It would be so great to watch this movie in a theater. And I think that the snippets of animation we've seen in the trailer look really good. It is very obviously 2D CG, but it looks good, like how it looks good in superheroes. So I think this is a, just a creative direction Toei wants to explore more, and I think it's going to work well for Slam Dunk. So yeah, very excited to see the film, more of it when we get more of a proper trailer, and also learn a little more about the story. Now, in terms of other jump properties that are getting film adaptations, uh, Kakuya-sama is getting its first film adaptation for the first Kiss Never Ends arc. It'll basically adapt the entire arc of the manga. And uh, yeah, it'll just be screening in theaters. And then pretty shortly after it screens in theaters, it'll be broadcast on TV, it looks like. So I don't know how that'll translate in terms of North American licensing release. It'd be cool to be able to see this movie in theaters here in North America as well. Or it could go like straight to streaming on Crunchyroll. Regardless, yeah, it's cool to see that it's going to get a theatrical release in Japan at least and uh, kind of a feature length uh, production here. Now, in terms of other feature-length adaptations to look forward to, Sasaki and Miyano is getting a film. 
in 2023 and yeah it's going to be the graduation chapter and it'll be screening along like a short adaptation of a, another manga series uh hirano and kagiura which is kind of like a, a spin-off of sasaki miyano so that's kind of a cool double feature there and yeah this is a film that's being directed by shinji jihara who directed the series said studio dean and yeah basically all the key staff are returning for this so this is very exciting and of course you know crunchy has the license to this hopefully we could see a theatrical release for this if not i'm sure that they would put it on their streaming pretty shortly after regardless you know very much looking forward to it as i am looking forward to this crossover film between ruby and the justice league now there has been a ruby and justice league crossover comic but this will be like a new original story uh, that is being produced between uh, warner brothers and rooster teeth so very very interested to see how that team up will work out for sure uh, i can think of some fun interactions there but speaking on the side of like you know western film productions uh, involving like japanese ip i mean that goes us to updates on the live action nights of the zodiac film which you know i was there at the san diego comic-con panel for and it was with like a bunch of the crew on the film including the director the writer team uh andy Shang, the sun coordinator, the producer from uh, Toei, and also, of course, like the actors for uh, Tina and for Icky. Well, in this film, it's like going by the English like dub name of uh, Nero. But yeah, like basically the film itself seems to be pretty well along in post-production. It's going to come out in 2023. And they're actually going to be pretty ambitious with this. They're looking at a six movie deal as a package for this franchise. So they've already started looking into making sequels. Oh, shit. So <laughs> it's been a long route to produce the film uh, in the panel they talked about that they've kind of been in development of this project for like 10 years it took a long time for them to find the right script which eventually they found uh, in the writing team josh campbell and matt stukin on the film so yeah that's when the project really got off the ground in the last couple of years and it's led to this moment where it has been filmed with like lead cast and crew and it's in the process of post-production and there, again i'll refer everyone to both the Twitter thread that I did live tweeting the panel, but also, again, the podcast that, you know, I was on, Cosmocast, where we discussed the panel. But yeah, there was a lot they talked about there in terms of their creative process in developing the film, what they were going for. The actors, Madison and Diego had a lot to talk about in regards to, like, interpreting and understanding their characters. And so... I was left with the impression that, you know, this is a project that is being developed with care and with the hopes of doing justice to the spirit of the series, if not the letter of the series. And so it is something that, yeah, I think that could turn out pretty promisingly. Mm, okay. Just out of curiosity, what was the turnout like for this panel? Like, was there a lot of people? Was there? I'm, I'm genuinely curious about that. Yeah. So I, it actually ended up being a pretty full room. They gave it 6A, which is not the biggest room, but it is one of the bigger rooms for panels. Okay. So, you know, as people were coming in, you know, it was like a turnover of a different kind of audience from the previous panel to this panel. So, you know, when people were coming in, it didn't look that full. But when I was turning around as uh, it was over, it was like pretty, pretty full. 
novels. So yeah, there was a lot of enthusiasm for it. Like, and actually, you know, there are a lot of people who are really into Seiya who had come there. Like I met in line, like an Atina cosplayer who was really cool. She made like a big wooden staff and everything that, you know, she was sitting like all the way across to the other in the room when we got in the panel room. And like, you could still see the staff from all the way on the other side of the room. It was like, damn, that was just really cool. But yeah, no, there were a lot of very passionate Seiya fans there. That's really cool to hear because, again, I'm sure we've brought it up here and there, but Saint Seiya definitely is one of those things where I feel like it's really hard to tell, like, how much of a base there is for it, like, over here in America compared to, like, other Latin America countries, you know? I was kind of afraid that, like, there wouldn't be, like, too many people at the panel, but, yeah, from what it sounds, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, like, it was, like, a full room and that, like, it seems like people are really excited about this movie, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm definitely going to check this out in theaters. I, I, fe- I feel like there's no way I can't. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, I hope it gets distributed to theaters and isn't like a straight to a streaming service thing. Yeah, for sure. Like, I would love to see this on the big screen. Because again, you know, with the choreography that was on display and like the working cut of one of the scenes that they showed, like it was really, really good hand-to-hand fight choreography. Okay. You know, okay. Andy Chang, of course, a uh, long time experience working with a lot of martial artists, including Jackie Chan. You know, he did the stunt choreography for Sean King. Uh, so, yeah, he was an incredible talent to bring on board for this, and it really shows, because he mentions, like, he was really thinking about, like, how to best portray the fight in in the series, and he was really trying to map every specific character's style and technique to actual realistic martial arts and i think that came across in the fight scene that we saw in the panel and hopefully will come across like in the final version of the movie too so yeah i mean it looked very promising that's really cool to hear i'm also actually kind of excited at the idea of like six more of these um now i'm just like move over mcu i'm ready for the sscu the saint Seiya cinematic universe (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i do wonder like how they will approach those other films because it definitely seems like this film as they're talking is going to be very focused uh, on Seiya and Atina and I you know they didn't really talk about like you know Shiryu or Shun or Hyoga so I don't know how heavily involved they'll be in the film so there could be potential of like kind of giving each film like its own focal character even I I don't know we still haven't really gotten casting for those characters we're gonna gonna give every character their own film building up to the Avengers I mean Saint Seiya sanctuary arc or something i don't know (laughs) uh that'd be an interesting approach it could work and again they're not really following like kind of the standard plot of the series like to the letter because the plot of the movie is like you know say uh was separated from his sister as a child but he wasn't like adopted and trained to be a knight as a child like he grew up as an orphan and then like an underground like kind of MMA fighter and then as a teen he is like recruited into becoming one of the saints and learns about like kind of he was always destined to be there and all this legacy stuff there so it's kind of changing the the foundation of how the story begins and also in this version of the film like Icky or Nero as he's going to be called is like someone who's been hired out to like kill Atina rather Rather than like is after the clocks because of like his like personal resentment just outright. Mm, so okay. 
you know, there's, there's, they're making some story changes, but like, again, like, uh, they talk about like trying to really focus in on like what the heart of Saint Seiya was, and that's what they found in like Seiya's like character arc and relationships. So that's what they're focusing on the film. And so that's what makes me feel okay. So they really have taken effort to understand the appeal of the series and the characters. And so even though they're not doing the exact same story, they're, they're trying to, again, communicate that same spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, in general, I feel like Saint Seiya is really primed for like, and entire franchise of like you know summer action movie blockbuster type things like i think there's a good foundation for that kind of thing there absolutely now to speak about other upcoming like kind of live action Hollywood productions about anime or anime related things i just want to mention something that i thought was interesting is that the pokemon company is making an unscripted series involving the pokemon trading card game basically going to be focusing on pokemon tcg players across many different ages and their families and just their lifestyles and dedication to the game and i just thought it was pretty cool interesting they've actually opened up like a casting call for folks in the los angeles area to be on the show so as like a pokemon fan and someone who's always been interested in its competitive tcg scene definitely they'd be keen to check this out but now i think we are going to talk about like another like hollywood anime adaptation property uh that i think you in particular will speak to as perhaps a bigger fan of stranger things yeah so um i think we kind of hinted at this earlier but uh so first off we are getting a new Live action Death Note thing over at Netflix. This is a completely different thing. It is actually going to be a TV series, but it is going to be headed by Matt Duffer and Ross Duffer, the Duffer brothers, the creator of Stranger Things, uh, over at their newly found studio at Upside Down Pictures. Uh, Apparently, this is one of just many other projects that they're going to be working on. And yeah, you know, I, mm, I I know a lot of people are kind of tired of like Death Note getting so many live action things. And, you know, if you've listened to our podcast long enough, you probably know what our thoughts on that first like live action Death Note movie are. Um, I think we can agree it's it's not great. We'll just say that. But genuinely, um, as someone who's been keeping up with Stranger Things, you know, the Duffer brothers have gone on record, uh, you know, talking about how much they like anime. Like basically Stranger Things is like, what if Elfin Light were good? That's basically what Stranger Things is. <laughs> um, they they pulled a lot of elements from that series in particular into Stranger Things, which I think is really interesting. Because Elfin Light, holy shit, um, it's not good. But saying that, I know we're probably going to talk about the manga on here one day, but that's a whole other topic of discussion. But yeah, so the Duffer Brothers, obviously, they're very into anime. And honestly, out of anyone that you could give Death Note to, like, I trust the Duffer Brothers to come out with something that I think actually captures what Death Note is all about. Like, I, I believe in them to understand the source material. Like, I think something good could come out of this. Like, I'm, you know, I was really burned when that first movie came out because I was genuinely really, really excited for it. And then when we when we finally watched it and talked about it on, you know, Manga Mavericks at Movies, um, again, it wasn't great. There was stuff I liked about it, but it still wasn't great. So admittedly, I am a little afraid of like getting my hopes up again because I'm really afraid of being burned again. But at the same time, you know, from from watching Stranger Things, like, I don't know, I, I think this could turn out well. Like, I, I genuinely think there is some potential here. So I don't know. I'm excited to check this out when it's out. And uh, who knows, maybe maybe we'll even talk about it somewhere on the show, maybe on the Patreon or something. I, I, if, if it's good then I would be interested in like maybe talking about it. But in general, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm optimistic. I'm looking forward to this so far. 
Yeah, I have only had limited experience with Stranger Things, only watched a few episodes, but it seems like a you know, we're going to show. And in terms of vibe, I think that it seems like it fits these creators and their vision very well. So I am curious to see how they will interpret and adapt the property. But that's not the only like Death Note adaptation to look forward to in the coming up, is it? No, um, I can't believe this is going to exist. So it was announced recently that apparently with the next upcoming Treehouse of Horror special on The Simpsons, uh, they are going to be doing a full segment parodying Death Note. <laughs> yeah, they talked about this at their San Diego Comic-Con panel. It's kind of one of the only things they really teased at this. And actually, they gave out the poster promoting this specific episode at the convention as well. Oh, okay. So I actually picked up a copy of that. I do like the style of it and it's going for, but it is kind of the elephant in the room that you know, there has already been a Simpsons parody of that note uh, in the Simpsons Bongo comics drawn by Nina Matsumoto and it won an Eisner. So they're kind of repeating themselves here again on the show. So that's kind of an interesting thing. And I kind of feel it's like probably because like the writers and people working on The Simpsons uh, don't necessarily pay attention to comics or remember that. But it's it's kind of an interesting thing. Oh, so this is like technically the second time you're going to see a Simpsonized Death Note, essentially. Yeah, that is kind of unfortunate that it doesn't seem like Nina or anyone else involved in that comic in particular was really involved with this. But I am still excited about this because apparently they are going to be like shipping this out to like another studio. We don't know who's going to be working on this, but it's very possible that we are going to get actual authentic Simpsons anime out of this. And like, I'm weirdly really excited for it, actually. It'd be cool if they actually are contacting an anime studio to animate this. I mean, that would be yeah, actual Simpsons anime. That'd be pretty neat. I guess regardless of how this turns out, whether it's good or bad, like, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm very excited to like check this out. I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking out this episode when it premieres for sure, because I just I feel like it's too interesting not to. Yeah, I mean, I already keep up with The Simpsons anyway, but this is definitely made me very curious about this next Treehouse. This is definitely going to be a segment I'm going to be really uh, looking forward to going to the new season this year. Now, in terms of other live-action adaptation projects, there's actually going to be U.S. French-Japanese production of Drops of God. So it's, that's going to be a really international adaptation, a live-action project. That is pretty cool. So filming has kind of begun on this. It's planned to come out in 2023. Tomohise Yamashita is going to play the main character. It's basically, it's not going to be like a direct adaptation of the manga, but it's basically going to be inspired by the manga. So yeah, like that's going to be interesting because it's going to have like a female protagonist called Fleur Gefferier. I mean, that's the name of the actress and she's playing a character called uh, Shizuku Kanzaki, who is like the protagonist of the manga. So it's going to be interesting. It's like not going to be like the same focal protagonist, but or like the protagonist is going to be gender. So yeah, it's gonna be an interesting direction, but we will see like how this will turn out. This is being produced uh, and distributed by Legendary outside of France, Japan. Hulu Japan is gonna have it. We don't know if like Hulu internationally will have it necessarily, but I presume so. And yeah, it's basically going to be filmed in France, Italy, and Japan. Mm, that is really cool. So interesting international tri-country uh, co-production here. Yeah, I hope it makes it to Hulu internationally. I, I would like to check this out eventually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it seems interesting. And I'm also like curious, like what 
creative direction is taking with like again like who is the protagonist of this and you know gender bending the protagonist of the manga is interesting stuff Another like live action anime adaptation news, uh, the second FMA movie is coming to Netflix August 20th, so I know Colton is completely apathetic to yep. that, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll check it out. Maybe it'll be better than the first one. But regardless, I thought that it was interesting that it's coming to Netflix uh, so soon, too, after the Japanese release, and uh, I'll check it Look, out. Look, if it, if it ends up being good, let me know. I'd be curious. <laughs> but sure but I just... I just that first one really just bored the shit out of me. God. Well, to move on to things that will make you get excited, uh, Dr. Stone Season 3, coming spring 2020 streets. That so is more exciting, yes. That is something to look forward to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to know what I'm even more excited for? Yes, I do. Me and Roboco has been confirmed to be premiering this winter anime season in 2023, so it'll probably come out around January, which is pretty cool. I wasn't expecting it to come out this soon, but I'm still really, really excited for this. I'm definitely going to be checking out the first episode at least. You know, hopefully if the first episode's good enough, uh, I'll watch it week to week. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to check this out. Yeah, I am looking forward to some Napa knee slapping good humor and fun in this anime. I'm also really excited because uh it was announced recently that mashal magic and muscles is getting an anime which is really really cool that'll be coming out in 2023 as well um i don't believe we have any info as to like who's going to be working on it in terms of like studios or whatever so i don't think that info is out yet but it is being listed as a complete anime adaptation so assumingly we're going to be getting a full manga adaptation within the anime so that's interesting that's interesting. I hope it isn't like a rush, like, oh, you're going to do it all in two cores. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> I hope like they give it uh, like a healthy episode. Like run. at least like three, maybe. Yeah, I'm not surprised it's going to be a full adaptation because the manga, you know, we know have been knowing it since final arc. And yeah, I could definitely see it wrapping up by the time this anime actually premieres. But yeah, maybe by the time it ends, I, I imagine it'd be like 150-ish chapters in length. So Street Cores definitely seems appropriate uh, for it at the minimum. Mashal's also pretty like action heavy, so like I I feel like it's the kind of like it's the kind of thing I I think you I think you need more than two cores, but I think three probably is maybe the sweet spot if you you know structure everything well enough. Yeah, I think two would be too rushed. Yeah, but three I think could be manageable without causing the pacing to yeah, suffer. For sure, but I'm definitely excited to check this out. For sure. To move beyond Jump and now into some stuff that'll make our Shaggy friends happy, Tale of the Outcast is getting a TV anime, which was a recent Shonen Sunday series currently being published by Seven Seas. And yeah, that's pretty exciting and pretty surprising considering the series has been over for about a year now. But yeah, we don't really know too much more about it other than the anime is on its way. But the teaser visual looks good and I am definitely keen to check it out because it's always great to see more Shonen Sunday anime adaptations but if you're more of a magazine fan don't fret because shangura frontier is going to be getting a tv anime in 2023 as well and especially if you are now bummed of the fact you can't read it anymore uh, as a simulpub on anywhere as hannah angela simulpubbing it because they canceled that release uh, you can look forward to this anime adaptation as like a weekly way to follow the series next year instead 
And yeah, that's pretty much what we know about it. Uh, it's going to be directed at C2C uh, by Toshiyuki Kuboka, who did Harkonnen Receive and Wandering Witch. And his assistant director will be Hiroki Ikishita, Kazuyuki Kudayasu, who did scripts on Black Clover, Dark Kagawai Devil, Italia, is supervising writing the series. And a character designer will be Ayumi Kurashima from Devil May Crabby and Middle Life 2. So... Pretty good hands, and we're not going to do the music, so yeah. Looks like a good crew, and looks like it could be a very good adaptation for a series that uh, has been quite uh, popular and beloved as a manga for a long time, so very much look forward to seeing that. Other adaptations we're looking forward to coming out next year include two that are coming to Crunchyroll, and... You know, this is a little bit of street considering the news of Dubu's passing, but Solo Leveling is getting an anime adaptation. It'll be released on Crunchyroll next year. And also Crunchyroll is going to be uh, releasing the anime adaptation of Tomu Chan is a Girl. So yeah, I am definitely keen to check out both of these. They're both cool like action story, but also like fun like rom-com story. Both really good properties that are lot of acclaim, really well liked, so very much looking forward to, to checking out these shows. So Leveling will be done by A1 Pictures, directed by Shinsuke Nagashige, uh, written by Noboru Kimura. It will have character designs with Tomoko Sudo and Haruki Saiwood always doing the music. So that's gonna, it's gonna have great music for sure. And also Tomo-chan, uh, is a girl, is going to be directed by Hitoshi Namda at Leidus, uh, assistant directing by Noro Kashimoto. Megumi Shimizu is gonna be head writer. She wrote on My Life's Life as a Villainous. And Shuari Hiraiwa is designing the characters. And music can be done by Masaru Yokama. So another, uh, a very talented composer, so expect great music in Tomo-chan's so as well. Good gets for Crunchyroll there. Uh, speaking of updates to things that are going to come to Crunchyroll, uh, the new Trigun anime, you know, we talked about it before, but we got some more details about it at the panel at Anime Expo. Basically, it has been confirmed that it is not going to be an adaptation of the manga. It's going to be a new original story, a prequel story, kind of exploring Vash in his younger days, uh, kind of like looking around and hunting in knives, and also probably going to focus a little bit on just the time Vash and I spent traveling together as well uh, as a child as we see kind of it'll begin with you know the big crashing of the ship and their landing on gun smoke and all that so yeah that's an interesting detail there personally I, i'm a little disappointed that it's not going to be an adaptation of the manga but i'm still going to keep an open mind i'd still at least like to check this out when it's out yeah as a try and fan i'm just very excited for it uh, regardless obviously i would have loved to see some of my favorite parts in the manga finally be anime but also i'm also excited for just new trigun stories that also has a lot of potential yeah. too and orange i know is gonna do a lot of work to make it look as good as possible and they've been developing this project for actually a couple of years now so they've been taking their time with it to try and get it right and get it developed in the the right way so yeah I am looking forward to this. I think that it is in really good hands with the production team at Orange, and I think Takei has been very hands-on with it, so creatively, I think that uh, that'll steer ship in a way that feels true to the heart of Trigun, and also will be very additive. So yeah, I mean, again, they've been working on this for like five years uh, since it was first like kind of conceived, so it's finally coming together, and I'm very excited to check out the show when it drops. Like, it, the teaser trailer looks so good, and I'm just so excited. 
Speaking of a property coming back after, you know, a long period of development and a long period of like just nothing new for it, uh, it was announced also at Anime Expo that Studio Trigger is doing a new project for panty and stocking. All we know is that it's called New Panties. Like, we don't really know like exactly if this is going to be in our season or what form this will take. They are being very like coy with like exactly committing to exactly what form this is It's a pachinko machine. What potential? I don't know. But however, at the Otakon Q&A panel for Trigger, they mentioned that, you know, over the past decade or so, they've been having conversations about ideas for more panty and stocking stories and material. And they have ideas all the way up to nine seasons (laughs) worth of stories. Wow. So it's taken a while for them to like develop something and get off the ground. But now they're at that point. So I'm feeling more confident that this is going to be like another season. And if so, I'm like, very looking forward to it because I really loved and enjoyed Panty Stocking when it came out. I really remember watching it uh, as it was coming out when it came out back in, man, 2010. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to watch a sequel to the series after like a dozen years. God, yeah, this is really, really big news. I'm, I'm really happy for Penny and Stocking fans. I might check this out. This is really, really cool, though. I'm actually kind of looking forward to this. Yeah, I mean, speaking of big and cool news, perhaps there has been no bigger and cooler news this summer than the fact that Macross as a franchise is truly back and alive as a franchise in North America again, with pretty much so many different parts of the media and franchise being made available to and in North America for the first time. And a bunch of big announcements were made at AX about that, about how Anime Limited is releasing Macross Plus on Blu-ray, Anime Go is releasing Super Dimension Fortress, Macross 2 on Blu-ray. We mentioned before, but the art book from Hideaka Tenjin is being released by Udon this October. And it just does not stop there because Nozumi is going to be releasing both Macross Frontier and Macross Delta and Right Stuff and Nozomi are also going to be releasing Macross 7 and Macross 7 Encore so so many different pieces of this franchise are now being offered and distributed like all at the same time it feels like in North America now and that's uh, really exciting and it, it builds so much anticipation and hype that at the Otakon panel Big West had about for Macross. Like, you were like, okay, are they going to announce Do You Remember Love? What other big thing are you going to announce? Because they've been hyping this up. And it was like just a 15 minute like music video that wasn't even subtitled. But like, <laughs> so it was kind of a big letdown there. But you know, after like these many big announcements for the franchise being available on home video for the first time, uh, I think that's fine. It's, it's like, it's just, we're getting so much of this franchise available to watch legally. Uh, so I, I think that's a pretty big win for Macross fans and for uh, anime fans to check out. Like, this franchise for so long has been kind of gatekeeped and locked away from us due to, like, weird licensing rights. I mean, look, you can't say that Macross fans aren't eating good. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, they most certainly are. Who isn't eating good is piracy sites. <laughs> Mainly Mangamura, who has been sued for 1.9 billion yen by Katakawa Shueisha and Shogaku-kan. Oof. And they are taking their case to the Tokyo District Court, and they have made their, like, kind of claim based on estimated damages from piracy of, of 17 of their titles collectively, which uh, includes, like, a wide range of titles, including some that you may not have said because they're, like, quite old at this point. You'd think they'd focus on newer ones, 
but it's everything from like One Piece to Yawara to Karakuri Circus. So it really runs the gamut here. But yeah, I mean, this comes after a series of like lawsuits and charges filed to folks involved in Mangamura over the years. Namely, the alleged administrator of it uh, last year was charged as being guilty and was sentenced to a uh, term in prison and fine and stuff. So yeah, now that they're getting, taking even more aggressive action of like suing the, the site for an even tougher, harder sum of money and worth like, again, nearly 2 billion uh, yen. So yeah, we'll see if like these really proactive legal efforts to criminalize piracy uh, have an effect in curbing it out. So that's an interesting story to follow and see an update on. But that basically covers all the news we wanted to round up for this episode, which, you know, despite being a lot of news, so I think we did it in a pretty efficient way. Yeah. So I'm glad about that. And of course, as always, though, I want to wrap up with some community shout outs for further discussions. So, you know, we talked a lot about Manga Up. If you want more thoughts on Manga Up, we mentioned it before, but Yazi had a great video on it where he just vented her frustrations on how, like, terrible uh, a service it is and such things to other apps and just the microtransaction hell of it all. And Manga Crash actually did the kind of a live reaction to exploring the app. And he is more tempered in his uh, observations of it, you know, but he also comes to the same conclusions of like, you know, it's just not worth it for what it is offering you in terms of user experience uh, and in terms of, you know, the actual availability of the content and the form the content is presented in. And going off to talk about like uh, related things to stuff we talked about in the episode, like on the subject of live action adaptations on properties. Modern's Basement did a good video about like how he's excited for the Netflix One Piece and basically exploring how he feels like, oh, the cast and crew really feel like they're doing a lot to actually understand the spirit of One Piece and what it really is about and going for authenticity, building real sets, casting actors that really reflect the personalities of the Straw Hats and also reflect the nationalities Oda has prescribed to them in the author's comments of the story and all that so he also speculates on like things that the production would have trouble with namely when it comes to like characters that would need to be portrayed uh, as CG potentially which his solution to that I think is clever is like well why don't we uh, <laughs> why don't they employ Muppets for Chopper and a lot of the animal characters I love this idea but, so yeah, much I think that would be a good workaround yeah no that's actually very smart and it cites like you know the Dark Crystal sh- uh, limited series that Netflix did as like a good example of the kind of world uh, they could kind of envision for One Piece and also how like you can do Muppets in a way that like they have enough degree of separation from them that they can look fantastic but they also won't look uncanny the way CG can. So I think that it was a very smart observation there and yeah I thought these sentiments about the Netflix One Piece are ones that I share about like the Netflix Senseiya as well. We haven't really seen much of it but you know kind of the similar sentiments of like oh they're really taking the time to understand the spirit of Senseiya and cast people who also will understand that and reflect that yeah I think I'm, I'm very much on the same boat on his thoughts on the Netflix One Piece and also can apply that to the live action scene as well uh, we talked about him across on this episode and Toy Galaxy did an interesting uh, history of Exo Squad history that is tangentially related to the history of Macross because the merchandise rights for uh, Macross were split up between like different companies right like a lot of different companies had their own claims to Macross and so the company that like 
did the toys for Exo Squad also were the ones that held the toy rights to Macross or rather Robotech. So what they did is that they <laughs> released Robotech toys under the Exo Squad like label or imprint. And so like they basically combined the toy lines in one. And so it was like Exo Squad Robotech. And that was very, <laughs> that was an interesting thing to learn about is like how those like very unrelated properties intertwined in that way. So if you want to like take another look back into the weird localization history of the Macross and Robotech franchises, definitely check out that video as well as like Toy Galaxy's like five part uh, retrospective on the Macross and Robotech franchises and the entire story there. And then I'll wrap up my shout outs spotlighting a recent Knickknacks episode on uh anime that aired in Nickelodeon in the early 90s called The Wander Bits, where he basically looks at kind of the show as an interesting kind of example of, of a show with very like leftist politics that it was like trying to really communicate to children and that was done in a really good way for most of the show but in the spotlighted episode which was like the penultimate of the show you know there came like a, a conversation about like discrimination against like immigrants but also that was tied into different environmentalist and commentary on capitalism that didn't quite like gel in the way that he feels that the show intended it to. So it was a look at kind of how like a show that was generally well-meaning could still make a misstep in terms of like setting up its framing for a storyline because in this case it's like the characters that are kind of treated as outcasts by this community, you know, they're part of like this old order of people that, you know, had kind of brought kind of the world to the ruin how they abuse the environment so as descendants they are kind of just treated as outcasts and like cannot be allowed entry into the village and everyone like looks down on them and stuff so there's like a you know a whole conversation there and how it's like resolved it's like it's not quite as neat an ending in terms of like its implications and messages as the show maybe had hoped for especially with how the next episode then is like whoa well these characters once called they're Ancestors once called it environmental disaster and the next episode an environmental disaster happens. So what do you take away with that as a, as a viewer? So I just thought it was an interesting look at this like kind of, you know, uh, to me it's an obscure underrated show. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. I want to actually check this out now. And this was an interesting conversation. Kind of uh, look at how like it explored its scenes and maybe like how sometimes even well-meaning shows can like make missteps along the way uh, in trying to communicate a good message. But yeah, like, uh, those are my shout outs I wanted to give out on this episode. A lot of really good commentary on a lot of different stuff. And, uh, we had a lot of great conversation, a lot of different stuff on this episode too. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot more to talk about in upcoming news episodes and just the coming episodes of the show in general. There's a lot more we got planned for the rest of the year. But for now, I think we'll head up into the wrap up of our show. For sure. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, definitely stay tuned next time uh, for our next Simul Pubs episode, where we're going to be talking about a lot of miscellaneous Shonen Jump stuff, as well as Manga Plus, and also our thoughts on Arakawa's new series with Demons of the Shadow Realm, unfortunately available on Manga App, <laughs> or Manga Up. Um, but, you know, d despite having to use that dumb app, I'm very excited to check out Arakawa's new series any way I can, honestly. And I'm really excited to be talking about uh, all the different simulpubs we have to check up on, uh, including Chainsaw Man Part 2. We're definitely going to be talking about that, as well as Just Listen to the Song, another one-shot from Fujimoto that came out just right before Chainsaw Man Part 2. So we got a lot of good Fujimoto stuff to talk about as well. And, you know, just in general, we got a lot of good new manga to talk about next time. But until then... 
Uh, let's definitely get into our wrap up and let you guys know where you can find us and the podcast, starting with my good friend Lum. Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lumberyasha on Twitter. Lumberyasha at a variety of places like Animation, Revelation, Annie List, Letterboxd, wherever there's a Lumberyasha that you can find me. You can read my reviews and my writing on Lumberyasha.com. We got a lot of reviews coming in as well as like podcast convention reports and roundups. So definitely look forward to reading more of those on there. And that's where you can find the other podcasts I do. Lum Squad, the Year's After Focus podcast I do, where we discuss the wonderful Rocky World of Rokotahashi's classic rom-com sci-fi comedy series. And we are having a lot of fun going through the manga as it's released by Biz Media, the movies as released by Discotech, and now we're gonna be very excited to talk about the new anime coming out later this fall, and the re-release of the old series on Blu-ray next year, so lots to talk about with Yuri Siyatsu these days. We're very excited. We have a lot of plans for the show, so definitely look forward to more episodes on there, and you can also find us on Twitter, at Squad. On YouTube, you can search for our channel name, and also we're on every podcast platform you can think of. Our podcast is Stitcher and Anchor. We also cross-post episodes on the Myron's feed, and post episodes early sometimes quite a bit early on the marriage patreon and if you like the art i make for our shows the illustrations or thumbnails or just the art i make uh, in general you can find that on my instagram at said artworks all right but as for me i'm colty you can find me on twitter at sniper king 323 i also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com over there you click on the podcast page and basically take a look at literally everything I'm doing at the moment, uh, even stuff I'm not a part of anymore that uh, I still want to link anyway, and even all the guest spots I've done on other podcasts over the years. So once again, if you want to listen to anything else I'm doing at the moment, again, that's at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, my personal blog, click on the podcast page and uh, check out all my stuff. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks, uh, you can find every episode on mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you'll have access to select episodes of the podcast depending on when we have them edited. If we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go out on our main feed, we'll put it up on our Patreon first for people to listen to before anyone else. Uh, but admittedly, that also depends on our time and what we have ready at any given moment. So if you want more reliable content, uh, you should really sign up for a $5 tier. Uh, we're over there. We post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Right now, you should be able to listen to our third episode of our Manga Mavericks Book Club read-through on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 2 Battle Tendency, which I'm covering with my good friend Grant over at Grant the Thief on Twitter. It's been a lot of fun uh, reading and talking about JoJo's with him, and we hope to keep doing more of that as we nearly finish up part two in particular. But in general, if you sign up for the $5 tier, uh, you will not only have access to just uh, that, but also the many bonus podcasts that we have recorded over the past few years we've been on Patreon. And just in general, we appreciate anyone who signs up for our Patreon. Once again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It really helps us keep the show up online from paying website costs to paying podcast costs and all that kind of stuff. It really helps us out. So once again, please sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, and we would really appreciate it. Uh, but as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post uh, different excerpts for our podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. 
Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news pieces we covered on this episode? Uh, are you reading any manga that you want to tell us about or uh, have us cover on the show, maybe? Uh, email us, you know, with your thoughts on manga, the podcast, uh, anything, really. We love getting emails from you guys, because uh, when you guys send us an email, we'll read it on the show. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a bunch of different platforms at this point. Uh, but especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you could do this kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show on these platforms. And, you know, we just love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to take that feedback and use it to make the show as good as possible. But all right, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much once again for listening to this episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast. This has been episode 210, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 211. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.